Hello, humans. This is Brandon with episode 45 of Not a Robot Podcast's DC Comics Review Show, the world's greatest podcast about the world's greatest heroes. They keep coming back, so I'll introduce them. As always, I've got my amazing co host here with me, Rob. Happy Pride, everybody. Uh, and Josh. Hello, humans. This week we'll be covering Crush and Lobo number one, Suicide Squad number four, Swamp Thing number four, Batman number 109, Crime Syndicate number four, Justice League number 63, Green Lantern number three, Nice House on the Lake number one, The Conjuring the Lover number one, uh, and an honorable mention of the Infinite Frontier Secret Files number four. Before we get going, I just want to say thank you to all of our Patreon supporters who help out with a dollar or more a month. And thank you listeners, too. Like, download, and share our episodes so we get more listeners and can bring you more content. You can get access to our Patreon and the rest of the Not A Robot Podcast shows at notarobotpodcast.com. But before we get started, what's new with you guys this week? Best part of this week has been these books. <laughs> yeah, uh, we, We've been talking about it, and a few of us have had a really, really rough week, and so happy these books are here because <laughs> it makes yeah. it all better yeah and at least you know getting to talk about it for me is is uh cathartic i think because like rob said it's been a pretty <coughs> crappy week it's, it's actually been a little crappy around here too maybe there's something to that astrological stuff after all huh? maybe i don't know <laughs> <laughs> oh rob you got any news Sorry, we're talking about the pride team, right? Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Let me let me <laughs> say that again, though, because that I, I that couldn't sucked. remember if it was this week or next week we we're gonna do it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, Rob, you got any news? Yes. So exciting news! We are going to be doing two special episodes for our comic review cast for the Pride books coming out this month. One from DC, one from Marvel. Yes. Hosted sir. by yours truly, with a slew of people from all over the Not a Robot podcasts channels. And we're going to be recording, or we'll be uploading them the day after we record. So the DC one should be up around the 13th. And the Marvel one is out a couple of weeks later. That should be up around the 24th, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. So keep a look uh, that. Out sounds for that. right to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we really are. We're going to have people from every different kind of podcast some people that are not on the podcast and are a little bit behind the scenes so uh, lots of voices that uh, you don't get to hear maybe you'll want to check out their podcast that'll work too (laughs) but yeah pride month all month so we'll be doing those two specials cool Mm -hmm. anything else going on rob uh there's been a bit of movie news coming out this week that's a little bit a little bit mostly just like pictures teases of upcoming dc projects we got yesterday a first look at the new Shazam suit with Zachary Levi in it. I missed that. It's actually yeah, looks pretty good. That. He, I think, a, a, one of the biggest things people, the biggest issues people had with the first one was it just looked padded. It looked too fake. Which I, I thought it was supposed to look very muscly because he's, he's practically a god, right? He should look that big. You're not going to get somebody that big unless you get Dwayne Johnson. But he's well, not, right, he's not but like Shazam. I mean... <laughs> At the same time, I mean, they make, not saying that they're not big guys to begin with, but they use uh, coloring and padding the right way for guys like uh, Superman and Batman. You know what Mm -hmm. I'm saying? Exactly. Mm -hmm. They kind of just went a little way over the top with Shazam. 
the this one with Zachary, he's he's been busting his ass working out the past couple of years, and he's he's looking in excellent shape. And honestly, it looks like this is just more of a skin tight suit. Maybe a bit of padding, but it it looks form fitting and it looks intense. I'm excited. It's it's hard to believe that that was the guy that I used to watch on Chuck. Right, <laughs> the yeah. clumsy. What, what was he in? Like a hardware store, or was it? He, he worked at a supplies? knockoff Best Buy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and needed a super spy. That was awesome. Today we also got the first look. I can't remember the director's name. Andy Machete, I think, uh, the director of the Flash movie coming up soon, uh, posted oh. a photo of Michael Keaton's bat suit, or at least the logo, and it is pretty accurate to how it was in the nineties. <laughs> or at least one. Sweet. I can't remember which which movie had the weird rounded one and which one had the more normalized one, but it's the more normalized one. This one also had a bit of a blood splatter on it. Uh oh. Yeah. So this is gonna be bloody maybe we'll see all right so is he, i wonder if he's going to be an alternate dimension batman or if he's going to be flashpoint batman that's, i that would be yeah, weird see, that's, but interesting that's one that of would, the biggest questions <laughs> it would have it would involve some serious choreography and cinematography they would have to really amp it up because i mean no offense to keaton but I mean, he's no he's no action star to begin with, and he's he's getting a little uh, up there in the years. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. They'll just you know they'll get a stunt double or something. The, yeah, the there's going, that. Yeah, the going theory or rumors right now is that he is playing the original version, like the '90s Batman, the Tim Burton verse Batman, basically, and it's just an older version of that Batman. But he's going to be portrayed kind of similar to an older Bruce Wayne from the Batman Beyond series. That's cool. Oh, yeah. So we'll see cool. how that goes. I uh I uh I happened to go over there on the website dcuniverseinfinite.com just to see what the final votes were. I am surprised at it, they don't give the results, of course. They're not going to give those out until October 16th on Fandom. Mm-hmm. But I was surprised to see how little votes they got. At the end, when it was all wrapped up, there were only 2,290 votes. Wow. Wow. See, DC, all your votes are coming from international fans. What the hell? Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, honestly, and this, <laughs> I promise you, this is not a plug from AT&T. But I think this whole Discovery Plus merger and letting, or rather getting rid of the WB film execs, as the rumors say, I think that's the best damn decision that they could ever possibly make. It has been one wrong decision after another. And it's mostly, you can blame all the directors and actors and anything you want, but mostly it is the WB execs putting their foot down on movie length or changing things or, I mean, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. You know, whether or not you agree with Ray Fisher or believe anything that he's got to say, the WB execs have got to go. Oh yeah. Even, even if those allegations were not true, you have to take them seriously. Yeah, for sure. I don't know and about I don't think uh, they are. Jim Lee or or like Jeff Johns, you know, but uh, Hamada, everybody that's involved in that needs to take a hike. Oh, yeah. But anyway, past that, <laughs> <laughs> um, we uh, we were mentioning a, a just a 
tip of the hat to Infinite Frontier a little bit later. I want to drop one right now. Uh, of course, it's not something we would ever normally cover, but I read it, all six issues. Spy Hunter and Paperboy, hey guys, check that shit out, especially if you're as old as I am. You will enjoy it if you ever played <laughs> Spy Hunter or Paperboy and they drove you fucking insane. Oh um, <laughs> uh, this is pretty cool. In the 80th anniversary Green Arrow book that's coming out the 30th, in the 80th anniversary Green Arrow book coming out the 30th of this month, Oh, man, I think this is so wicked cool. Jorge Fernandez and Dave Stewart are going to team up to do a wordless story called Tap, Tap, Tap. And it's an, in tribute to Denny O'Neill, and they're doing it with his son, Larry, who's actually a prolific writer in his own right. And I thought that was cool as hell to be able to 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 do that for Denny O'Neill and, you know, his kid, too. Yeah, it's but, uh, really cool. It, yeah, that's awesome. Speaking of and uh, and speaking of 80th anniversary issues, Aquaman's is coming up, and apparently, right after that, we're getting two Aquaman miniseries. Of course, there's a movie um, on the horizon, so they want to ride that, and I can't blame them. There is gossip that Chuck Brown or Brandon Thomas are on Black Man. There's gossip that Chuck Brown or Brandon Thomas are on Black Mana or an Aqualad miniseries, but that's just speculation. I'd be down for Brandon Thomas, Aquaman. I I can never imagine Chuck Brown writing because all I hear is Kite Man. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's it, man. Um, and, of course, a uh, little note here. I was reading this interview that uh, Joshua Williamson did with John Sutras. And uh, I thought we were supposed to be all done with these huge, massive, sprawling events. That's what DC told us. But that's not happening, apparently. Mm. There is uh, supposed to be three giant parts to this infinite frontier shit. And Joshua Williamson has shared his story arc. DC is sharing Joshua Williamson's story arc for that idea to make sure that everybody else falls in line with it. That makes me nervous as hell. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's basically giving the whole basket to one dude to carry, and that's ugh, that makes me nervous. Dude. There's part two that's coming out uh, later on this year, and there's going to be a part three. I'm assuming sometime next year. That am, am, am I am I wrong? Does that not make you guys a little nervous to give the whole kit and caboodle to Joshua Williamson? Oh, also, the, uh, he, uh, he says that his Robin book is going to lead into another title that's not yet announced yet. So, Connor Hawk. Oh, probably. <laughs> oh, yes. But, I mean, regardless, I mean, yeah. Joshua Williamson is notoriously famous for not wrapping up storylines, and you're going to give him the whole universe. And that's, that's to me, that's a mistake. But anyway, I'm not going to rant. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that, that's that, just the news that idea could be a blessing in disguise if everybody if, else has a lot more input yeah if he's because we we've talked about this he's, he's the idea guy like you said he sets up stories he doesn't finish them very well he can set up all these threads and just like here's a playground go play with it and have all these creators can like bounce ideas off him and and take his ideas and run with it and do other things with it and it could just be a little more in line with the ch- with each other in a way. Mm. I mean, yeah. I just, yeah. I guess, 
throughout DC's history, handing, handing over the keys to the kingdom haven't exactly led to good things. <laughs> okay, before we before Unless we Paul uh, Levitz. Yeah, well, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, got me there. All right. <laughs> All right, I guess uh, I guess I should shut up now. Can we get to some comic books already, guys? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I guess so. Uh, so up first, we'll be looking at Crush and Lobo, and that'll be brought to us by our our resident Lobo expert and super fan, Josh. So I'll uh, stop talking and let him take it away. I am a Lobo super fan. Thank yes. you for recognizing that. Well, uh, I, I think yes. considering how hyped you were about the Superman Lobo book. Oh, I'm so hyped uh, for that. You'd, you'd want to take <laughs> the lead on this. Yeah, this isn't so bad, though, and I'm going to be interested to see if there's any way that this is actually going to tie into that or, if, you know, if it's completely independent. But in any way, this one is written by Mariko Tamaki with art from Mamanke Nualpen and Tamara Bonvillain and Ariana Marr doing the letters, wrapped in a really cool, well-done cover by Chris Anka. And I'm not familiar with that person. Um, Chris Anka? Yeah, it's I the the, oh, the name yeah, is completely no. blanking he's, on me. Yeah, no, he's awesome. He did um or was doing uh Runaways with Rainbow Roll. Oh my um, god. And, okay, uh, that's right. Yeah, he was kind of like the main artist for a while and then he he had to leave the book to go um draw some other stuff, but um yeah, he's I, awesome. I did I read that. Don't tell anybody over in the Marvel Well, shit, <laughs> I'm talking to two people over in the Marvel podcast, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh yeah, I, that is one of the few Marvel books that I I love, and I mean, just I just I love the character so much that even even though I didn't fully enjoy the TV show, I still watch it. Oh, <laughs> I just I, I like it. I just those characters are great, and yeah, uh, yeah. he is a great artist. I just didn't know. I you know, of course, it's Marvel. I didn't uh, yeah. I didn't uh, put that name on it. But, uh, oh yeah, okay, no, cool. I that explains it. Yeah, he's he's very very talented. <laughs> And uh, Tamaki, I think, uh, has been working with the government to create clones of her. Uh, she's working on <laughs> Overload right now. Uh, she's got to be anyway. How many titles is this? How many titles has she been writing now? I, I feel like I've seen her name everywhere lately. Yeah, a lot of short stories and books, but still, still not as much as um, as Jeff Lemire or Cullen Bunn. So no, no, not, not, not like quite that. there. Yeah. No, but uh, Tynan and Williamson might want to watch out. <laughs> yeah. So uh, back to the book. All right. Crush has a girlfriend named Katie who is absolutely not Crush in every single way. She lives in the burbs. She's got wealthy parents. Everyone is nice. No one is destroying a birthday party with toxic gas clouds. But uh, <laughs> Crush does accidentally. And, of mm-hmm. course, it was Katie's party. She's trying to work through that stuff in typical crush style at one point talking to red arrow about it, which kind of surprised me. And later on, we find out that Lobo has been in prison and he's in the process of rehabilitation or at least supposedly, I mean, it is Lobo. In any case, there's a program that he, this is what he's telling. This is what Lobo is telling crush that there is a program on the prison for kids of criminals like her. And he wants her to come and be a part of his healing. Okay, Bestitious, this definitely does not sound like Lobo. 
It does sound like Crush, though, or at least I think so. We haven't really been able to spend a lot of time figuring out or even hearing what her voice should be like. She's always just spoke really clipped. Um, I mean, she's no orphan, but she has been given a lot of dialogue time, you know? And uh, I think that the voice that Tamaki gave her was a pretty cool one. Uh, I'm a complete sucker for any book with Lobo in it. Brandon called me out on it. Mm -hmm. And of course, I just, I don't believe for a second that Lobo is being sincere at all. So I am excited for where this story could go. And I honestly don't think I could imagine a better art team for this book. Every page is fantastic coloring and illustration. My biggest problem with this book is the overabundance of the word whatever. But I honestly can't argue <laughs> yeah. that this was a very, great very, book for this character. Yeah, it's very uh very teenage girl, not to not to stereotype or anything, but, no, I, but I definitely yeah. got that vibe. Which I guess makes sense considering that Crush is a teenager, but yeah. <laughs> it, was, it, was it was a lot. It seemed a little heavy, like maybe heavily influenced by some Valley Girl stereotypes. Yeah, well, I mean, I definitely, I definitely got that vibe from like the very first page. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, oh, I see, <laughs> <laughs> I see. But it was, yeah, it was, um, it was, it was. Well, I should let you finish, I suppose. Oh no, that was pretty much all I had yeah. to say. I gave it an eight out of ten, man. The art is amazing. Tamaki's got a heading in a good direction. I just I'm interested to see where it goes. It's not going to score super high for me because it's just a set up book, but I'm happy with it. Yeah, no, I mean it's like I said, I I, I honestly didn't really have any expectations for this book at all. Um, I to be honest, I kind of forgot we were going to read it. Um, <laughs> well, and, I mean uh, honestly, who's going to um you know remember that there's a crush and Lobo book coming out? That's exactly, and limited I mean, audience. Gonna, <laughs> honestly, the, the real question is who's going to remember it. Five years from now but anyway um yeah i mean i i i'm i i'm probably a bit different from you josh where i i'm not the biggest fan of lobo um in like big amounts like i i, th- I think lobo for me is kind of like wolverine and i said this on the marvel podcast where wolverine is someone i can read about but in small and infrequent doses like i i i wouldn't yeah. i wouldn't read like you know, fifty issues of a Lobo series, I just it would start to drive me crazy. Because um, well, after and a I while. can see why. Because I mean, with just like Wolverine, no matter how they like to paint it over on Marvel, yeah. the dude just doesn't have a lot of depth. Yeah, yeah. Just kinda once you get past like, you know, the berserker part and that whole thing, I was kinda like, eh, you know, it doesn't really do it for me. But <laughs> right. um yeah, this was this was fun and 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 kinda cute. And I mean, I don't I don't know if you would necessarily want to read this with a, a teen or, or tween girl, but it definitely kind of feels like it's for around that age group. So it, it kind of worked really well. Um, and I don't know. I just I, I had a, I had a fun time with it. Really, like it was just just kind of a, a, a nice, fun, enjoyable book. So I ended up giving this one a seven point seven five out of ten. My age group, I'd say from twelve to twenty-two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right. I, I also really enjoyed this. I, I thought the, the art, again, like you guys wrote, is fantastic, and the story is really interesting. I can't wait to see where this goes. And I also don't believe for a second that Lobo's in prison of his own volition. Like, yeah. I mean, it, it, it is his own choice. And like, this is part of like his own master plan. There's no way he got caught. Yeah, absolutely. Not the not main that. man, Bestie. No. That's just not going to happen. No, no, no way in hell. 
This this is fun. I'm excited. It's it's also technically the kickoff to the Pride boats for DC. Yeah, very yes, cool. Yes, it is. Yeah. So that's exciting. Um, beyond that, I just really enjoyed the story, and I, I'm excited to see where it goes. I think I, I see what you're saying, Brandon. About in five years, will anybody remember this? But I guess we'll <laughs> see by issue eight just yeah. how how big this can go. But yeah. I don't expect it to be huge, but it'll be a fun ride while we have it. You know, we know, I mean, it's Crush and Lobo, so it appeals only to a limited audience. Yeah. But hopefully the fact that it is tied to Pride event will get these exposures and some other comics some more exposure. You know, yeah. that's 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 what I'm hoping for. Mm-hmm. Welcome more people into the comic reading community, too. Okay. That would be awesome. Yeah, and I mean, like I said, even if it, you know, I I don't even mean that in a bad way. Even if it's kind of a more niche book, doesn't necessarily mean it's, you know, it should be forgotten. Like the the people who enjoyed it will really enjoy it, and even if it's not like, you know, super memorable or anything, it 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 might be something that someone discovers five years from now is kind of a hidden gem. So, I, I think I think it has uh, some interesting potential. But one one thing I have been. I keep noticing when I go through the book is her motorcycle. That's like a carbon copy of Akira's motorcycle, if I'm not mistaken. I, yeah, I, I definitely it, saw that. It caught my eye so well. I, it's a good looking motorcycle, but it also looks like it has a bat symbol on it as well, which is kind of throwing me off. It's it's not really a bat symbol. It's just some crazy. It's like the it's like their black part of their face. You look, there's some extra points. Oh there. yeah, so it is. Yeah, it's like oh, the God. Zarnian. The Zarnian black part of their face. Mm-hmm. Hey, oh, that makes uh, sense. Brandon mentioned potential interesting and also Lemire earlier. So I just want to interject here real quick. Sweet Tooth, the TV show is out on Netflix. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I've, I'm definitely excited to check that one out. I really, um, I, I <coughs> excuse me, I haven't had the chance to, to finish the original series, but I've I've been pretty excited just because, um, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of Jeff Lemire, and um, it's exciting that he gets a chance to kind of see his world brought to the big screen. Absolutely, dude. I I'm so stoked. Like when I uh, when I uh, saw that it was up, I I just like sat there and I was like, "You have no idea how badass this show is gonna be, uh. dude." <laughs> I just I it, Jeff Lemire is one of my favorite it, when it comes to all around creators. Who does the the ones who do everything? There's there's I can't think of very many people who beat him in today's comic. Right? It's just that would blow my mind to come yeah. up with somebody else. Yeah, I, I just I I'll never understand how you can handle you know that much work all at once. But I've I've seen interviews with him where he's just like he's he basically plans his stuff out like to a T, and I'm like I'm like envious of that because I, I wish I could be that planned. Ain't that the truth? Yeah, no, I'm. I'll definitely be checking out Sweet Tooth. I'm, I'm debating whether I should just kind of watch it for myself, or maybe you know watch it with my girlfriend or or with my family or something. I'm not sure, but uh, we'll see. In any case, we're going to be releasing a uh, episode reviewing it shortly here, probably in about a week or so, mm. to review it over on the TV and Movies podcast. That's where we have out right now Star Wars and anime review. Not Star Wars anime. Those are two separate shows, Star Wars <laughs> yeah. and anime. But anyway, you guys have to check that out when it comes out, and I'll, uh, I'll bump it on here. Back to the books. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Well, any, any final thoughts on Crush and Lobo? I, I, I just, I'm, I'm looking forward to see where it's going to go. I don't expect yeah. any legendary 
you know, series here, but I'm sure it's going to be a fun ride. Yeah, I think so too. For sure. um, but with that out of the way, we'll be moving on to our next book, which is Suicide Squad number four. Uh, and Rob, I'll let you take it away. Gladly. So we got on rating duty is Robbie Thompson with pencils from Eduardo Pensica, inks from Joe Prado and Julio Ferreira. I'm so sorry, guys. One minute. That cat just wants to be a podcast host. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh, Rob, I didn't that. even notice. I sorry, I had I had like Zoom kind of semi closed, but I, I didn't even notice your. Is that the Bi Flag shirt? Yes, yes, it very is. cool, very festive. We were doing a Pride celebration at work today, and everybody awesome. had their own Pride shirt. Yes, right on. So, that's locked up. Back to this. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry about that. Okay. So, Red X has been captured by Task Force X, as you may have seen in Teen Titans Academy. Waller interrogates X using electroshock therapy, but eventually he plays his hand, demonstrating what may be powers of his own or just some fancy tech in his mask. It was kind of hard to tell. He shuts down power and comms throughout Bell Reeve, causing a riot among the inmates. Using this chance, X escapes and goes through the compound and goes up against each member of the squad one by one and takes down each one, including Talon, which X reveals is actually not insane and hiding his true intentions. Uh, I thought that was a nice We twist. called it here yeah, first, folks. Talon yeah. is faking the whole who thing. Yeah. I can't remember which one of you said that, but you were like, you know what? I don't believe him. I, I know it was one of you. I just can't remember which one. I don't, I, it might have been yeah, Brandon. I, I, I don't remember. remember. But uh, <laughs> it came from here first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so on his way to Waller, he eventually reaches the office and takes down Peacemaker in a. If I remember right, that was a nice swift kick. <laughs> yep. Should have so, been in his ass. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So X detonates a bomb that Waller has in her office, and he jumps out of a window onto a plane and escapes to safety, leaving Belle Reeve and Bruins. So I think I've got it. I think I figured it out. Finally, I know who Red X is. He's oh. he's actually just a badass. Uh, Under just that some mask, random badass dude. He's just a badass. <laughs> but actually, I I'm I'm so, I'm kind of getting the feeling now, and this might be this is the kind of out there that can only work in comic books. It's an alternate universe Dick Grayson. Uh, you know, my idea is a little close to that. Brandon, do you got any idea who Red X might be? I still have no idea. So, get this right. Who's somebody we haven't seen in a while, but but we do get to see in Future State? For the Teen Titans? Related to the Teen Titans, yes. Ooh, I have no idea. Tim Drake. All right. I was kind of feeling that too, but he could unfortunately be, ta- be taking a dark turn. Look, we've seen the two other dark Robins, Damien and Jason, really take a bit of a softer turn as of late. Is Damien still killing people? Yes. Did What was the last thing we saw him do? Going to a tiki party. So we got to have one dark Robin. I mean, that's kind of what it's like. I mean... There's there's always going to be one lingering around. It's like Marvel's Dark Phoenix, just not with superpowers. Yeah, <laughs> but I, yeah, I guess I, I just I wouldn't I don't know that that one would be a little more confusing for me considering Tim was just in Nightwing and has a story in Future State and it's like 
how could he be doing all that and also being Red X at the same time? Be a lot of overtime. Well, I mean, he's he's in future state, but that's five years down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, him leading a double life, that's not exactly out of character for a superhero or multiple lives for a Bat family member. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm still not sure. I, I, he's he's an amazing fighter. He just mm-hmm. took out the whole squad single-handedly. He, it is said he has Batman-level intellect in his tech progress is tech prowess can outdo task force x mm. is there anybody close to the titans who can make those claims that or you know another new character or something uh if they cop that out and make it a new character i think i'd be a little pissed yeah, <laughs> yeah. i don't know yeah. i i, I still mad. i still feel like that's the route they're gonna go like they did with um with the peacemaker because it, it just it feels like uh we don't really want to do you know, another character, so we're just going to kind of make a new one, and he'll just be there. Or could it be Bunker still? Yeah, oh, could, maybe. Maybe. I, yeah, didn't, I didn't know he was a fighter. Tower. Yeah. Oh, Bunker's a fighter. He's a, he's always, like, on the front line when, when he's on the Well, I mean, I mean like, kind of like martial arts fighter, not so oh, much. Oh, see, well, I don't know enough about him to guess, so that's the only reason why I throw him in there. <laughs> <laughs> The only thing I could say about it being Tim Drake, and I know DC has a way of just forgetting stuff they did a few years ago, but they did that whole thing in Detective Comics with the Gotham Knights, where Uh, that future Batman that was Tim Drake, and he was a a little pissed off with the world and wanted to just kill people, and Tim had to come to terms with, this could be his future, but he doesn't want that. And he's, he's doing what he can to not become that person. And if this is him as Red X, like he's becoming that person and that entire story is kind of null and void at this point. I don't know how I'd feel about that. Yeah, I, 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 I thought that not. was a big character moment for Tim Drake. Alright, I'm not pulling it up or anything, but for some reason it just flashed in my mind the way that Red X stands kind of looks similar to the way Tim Drake was standing after he got hit with all that Lazarus resin in Future yeah. State. Kind of hunched over and hands clenched and I could be misremembering or totally, totally reading into something far too much. But mm-hmm. uh, my biggest thing with my my idea of being an alternate universe Dick Grayson is we we don't know yet how tied into the Suicide Squad story Red X is going to be. Like Waller seems to have a huge interest in this guy for some reason. I don't think we really know yet, apart from he's an, an amazing fighter and should want him on her team. Mm-hmm. But we do know, because of future states, that there is some multiverse shenanigans going on later on with the squad, I think, with Earth-3. So what if Earth-3 Dick Grayson, which I don't think we've actually met yet, at least in the Omniverse, is a guy that, when he took on the mantle of Red X, just stayed as Red X? That's totally possible. Huh. But beyond that... I Who knows? Think that. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll see. Mm-hmm. I think I, I'm just excited with this character, no matter what. It, it expectations are being met with Red X, and I'm excited. Yeah, they did make a big deal of Rick Flag escaping, though. Yeah, did they? That that'll be interesting. I, yeah, I mean, is Rick he going to just and... hightail it out of there, or is he going to join forces with Red X? Is he going to have his own thing going? I mean, regardless, though, I mean, I like how Robbie Thompson is doing this because I did not like how he did his Titans run. And 
I'm really enjoying this series. Besides the good story, the art is great to look at. I really dig the action backgrounds. Those are cool. And uh, I'm giving this one an 8 Nice. Yeah, I'm kind of, I'm not going to say disappointed, but more just surprised there was no insane, crazy death this issue. <laughs> I think they've been having going, but as fun as that is, I, I'm really excited to see what Talon's up to. What's his angle here? Uh, Where's that you going? Know, crazy, insane. One dude just took out that entire Suicide Squad. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that is true. <laughs> I, I love this issue. I thought it was, it was good, and I'm excited to see where it goes. I gave it a seven point five out of ten. Keep it up. Right yeah, no, I, I I I pretty much felt the same way as you, Rob, where it was just, you know, pretty pretty solid artwork. And I think for me the the talent revelation was probably the the most interesting part. Um just because I'm I def I'm definitely looking forward to seeing where that's going. And I mean, I, I still I still want Connor to be free and, and sail away, but um, I, I just I don't think that's going to be happening anytime soon. But at least no. we're probably going to get some kind of explanation as to how he's there in, so. the, in the upcoming annual. So I gave this one a seven point five. Just a you know kind of a solid issue. Right. Huh? Speaking of solid issues. <laughs> yeah. Speaking. Yeah. Speaking <laughs> of solid issues. Uh, up next, we'll be taking a look at the Swamp Thing number four. And uh, this issue was brought to us by writer Rom V with art by Mike Perkins. I'm going to do that again. This issue was brought to us by Rom V with art by Mike Perkins, colors from Mike Spicer, and letters from Aditya Bidikar. Um, Basically, this issue kind of starts in two different places, following up with Jennifer and Jason Woodrow, a.k.a. the Floronic Man, and Alec Holland and Levi Kamei, the new avatar of the green. Why am I not seeing my stuff? Oh, there we go. Okay. Alec Holland basically fills in Levi with an understanding of what the green actually is. Um, And it's not just a place or, you know, uh, uh, something that that can kind of be broken down into a basic understanding. But Alec describes the green as information, essentially, that it's living information, the comprehensive history of every single person who has ever been an avatar of the green everything that's ever embodied the green and yet something is is wrong something's corrupting it and they're not really sure what that is and that is embodied by the creature the Wodewas, which is this large hulking creature that has basically been causing havoc uh, around the green and alec is informing levi of his duty to basically take care of the Wodewas. levi kind of asks does this have anything to do with his emergence as the new avatar of the green, to which Alex says they're not really sure, but it's something they'll look into. So after basically trying to take down the Wodeos, but struggling with some brief assistance from Poison Ivy, Levi is able to embrace all the comprehensive information of the green to, I guess, take down or reform the Wodeos. That one was a bit unclear for me, but it, it seems like it, it basically amends what was broken in the green. We catch up with Jennifer, who has run away from the Floronic Man. Yeah, Jennifer yeah. At least is the new Abigail Arcane, I think. Yeah, at least at least for for Levi, anyway. But right. um, she's able to escape from uh, the Floronic Man, and Levi and Levi basically has a moment with uh, with Jason, kind of acknowledging that he remembers him, given all of the information he has been able to take from the Green. 
and understands that this life that he has developed for himself as the new avatar of the green as this monstrous creature is his life now and that is kind of reaffirmed by Ab- I almost called her Abigail uh, <laughs> by Jennifer who after uh leaving the green and returning to Prescott Labs, talks to Levi about seeing a strange swamp-like creature that frightened her. And Levi is contemplating the the life of basically having to be a monster from this point forward. But we catch right. up with some brief analysis with Prescott later to kind of look into what had happened with the flourishing of the green. And that's when the head of the Prescott uh, Corporation, a man by the name of Mr. Pilgrim, decides to give a direct phone call to Bell Rev to none other than Amanda Waller, who basically asks for the help of the Suicide Squad. And that's where our issue ends. Um, so I, 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 I've been raving about this series pretty much since issue one. I think we said in the last uh, issue, or last time we talked about this issue, we we're going to try and find like a new way to talk about this series without sounding repetitive because it feels like we kind of just like say the same stuff like oh it's so good it's so amazing because it is right. and i, I don't yeah, really I, mean, I don't really have anything else to say uh other than that but um i don't know i'm going to try and talk about some some interesting things that i liked which was you know levi's i guess unique connection to the green um in that he kind of has a full understanding that the green is information because right. from my understanding, it was Alec and, and all the other avatars of the green who kind of kind of understood it, but never really fully grasped it until, you know, until much later on. But Levi kind of has it from the get go. So it, it kind of sets him apart as a as a really unique and informed avatar of the green. And um, I just. He, I, yeah, he gets that it's 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 information in the in the form of the collective memory and experiences yeah. of all the different ones. It's. That's pretty neat to think of yeah. the swamp thing. But I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna talk about how great the art is in other places. I'm just gonna mention there is a double page spread of the Wadewos and it's kind of uh, like you see it towering and, and Swamp Thing has got his hand raised and he's like standing on a branch and it is just so well drawn. Like if you if you love like elemental horror books, I swear this is like the best book for you because that drawing of the Wodewas is just—it's—it's yeah, it's amazing, and I, I don't amazing. even know what else to say. It's Zermanico. So that's 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 what Zermanico is. That's what Zermanico does. Fucking love him. Yeah. So I, if I, if I haven't made it clear, right, um, wait, I'm is super... Zermanico on this book? Uh, oh wait, no, sorry, that's Mike Perkins. Oops. Oh shit! Yeah, yeah. well, same but, well, thing. Yes. <laughs> well, Zermanico does the JLD back, yeah. which we'll be getting to soon, but. But um, my Mike Perkins is amazing too. Yeah, yeah, and just I mean, I, I honestly God. like, and and it's, it's I, I I don't want this to sound rude, but um, you know, Mike Perkins is someone who's who's been drawing for quite a while and is very talented and has done some really great stuff. But I I honestly think this is probably some of the most unique and and best fitting work of his career. Almost like Joe Bennett on Immortal Hulk, where it's like you are just so perfectly fit for this kind of book and these kind of characters. It just works for you. So I, like I said, if I haven't made it clear, I friggin' love this book. Oh, it's so, so much. So I'm giving this one a nine out of 10. 
uh, dude, okay, yeah, not only is the art amazing, as it always is, not only is the story intriguing and, um, I guess, enveloping, man, it pulls you in. Mm. But the the voice that Ram V has given to this new Swamp Thing is not just... It's not just right. It's almost poetic in the way that he speaks. (laughs) Holland was very, very drama-filled, and this... This Swamp Thing is not without <laughs> melancholy, that's for sure. But the way that he puts his words together are just... Very eloquent. Yeah, it's really yeah. nice to read. Is that weird to say? <laughs> no, that's that's exactly how I feel. And I think yeah. it's... I, I, I know exactly what you're saying, because I mean, I'm thinking of, you know, probably one of my favorite runs on Swamp Things, and, and a lot of people's favorite run on Swamp Thing, which is the Alan Moore run. And that oh, one God, was, yes. you know, very flowery, and you'd have him talk about, oh, my my connection with the green and I feel every tendril and every root and everything. And it's like, there, there are aspects of that in here. Sure. But it's, it's almost like when Levi is, yeah, it's like when Levi is swamp thing, he almost has that more flowery sense to him. But when he's just Levi as a human, it's, it's like this. uh, Yeah. I, I think you described it best. It's like this very, uh, poetic way of just looking at the situation of like, oh my god, this is my life now, and yeah, it's it's freaking amazing. And um, at this point, guys, if if Swamp Thing does not show up in the Gotham story with Harley, I'm going to be so <laughs> pissed. Uh, yeah. I mean, obviously, at least to me, obviously, this is building up to Swamp Thing being needed to merge the two IVs back together. That's my guess. Yes. Um. Uh, uh, it, I hope that it's doing that anyway. Mm. And uh, I've never heard of this Mr. Pilgrim dude. I even Googled it and came up with Nada, but uh, he's he's got some serious pull if he's got Waller's cell phone number. Yeah, he must. Uh, something unique to say about the book, I guess. Uh, this book is a breath of fresh air, which seems pretty weird to say about something in the swamp. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> dude, art, story, characters, everything is nearly perfect or better, and I can't wait to see what happens next. Just because we always give high scores on this, this book will never get a 10. I feel bad. <laughs> I'm just but, like, I want to say like more things about it, but I... I I, I don't know how to like I feel like I've said everything I, I need to we seriously need to come up with like new I don't know new words or something uh, I mean it is it's a great book if it, even if you don't like uh, buy a lot if even if you don't like horror comics or like dark thematic elements you can enjoy this book it just oh, happens yeah. to take place in that atmosphere but it's not it's not gory it's it's not off-putting in any way it's 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 very detailed, but it's yeah. exactly what you would think of a man made out of uh, plant matter or, you know, a guy made out of wood. It's it's done really good. And the story, I, I can't say that enough. I feel like uh, amazing and awesome. I say it a lot <laughs> for this book. And he's right. I just, I got to put away those ones. But it, it's emotional. It's interesting. And uh, it's the closest thing that you're going to get to an award-winning novel coming out of comic books right now. Oh yeah, yeah, and this—I mean, probably, I would say probably my my favorite book coming out of the Infinite Frontier catalog. And again, this is this is one of those books where it's just like you, like you'll be really glad that you were a part of the experience, just getting to read something like this. And yeah, exactly, this, yeah. Exactly. I, I don't know what else to say, but we we've been talking a lot, Rob. What did you think? I I 
like like you've been saying i don't know what else i can yeah. say <laughs> it's it's just fantastic the yeah. art is amazing i i totally dig that splash page with the the memories and just about that page if i'm following it correctly are they alluding to the wadevos being tied to levi's brother i i think it might be or like some kind of some kind of connection that basically yeah, some some kind of connection to the Wodewos, to the origins of the Green, and Levi's brother all kind of tying together that basically made him become the new avatar of the Green. Yeah, yeah. So, so that, we that may be looking good. at a new Anton Arcane as well. Ah, uh, yeah. Nice. But I, yeah, I, I again, I don't know what else to say that hasn't already been said. Just yeah. fantastic stuff fantastic book i totally agree it's if it's not the best it's at least one of the best books coming out of infinite frontier right now this is a nine out of ten for me just oh my god it's so good honestly i mean i I feel like for the most part it just really speaks for like if you if you want to hear nice words about it just just read the book really yeah right you it'll be it'll be hard for you to to not see it but Yep. Uh, Josh, did you give your score? No, not yet. I gave it a 9 out of 10, or at least I don't think I did anyway. <laughs> uh-huh. I gave it a 9 out of 10. Like I said, man, I can't ever give this book a 10 in good conscience because every single time it comes out, we sit here and it's at least on one or two of our top, in, in, in our number one spots. And, yeah. you know, that that would make us sound a little fanboyish, but, you know, we are being completely honest here. Yes, yeah. Um. All right. Well, with that out of the way, we'll be taking a look at Batman number 109. And uh, for our main story, I'm going to let Rob walk us through that one. So with writing duty this well, this month, every month, is James Tiny IV with art by Jorge Jimenez, colors from Tobamori, and letters by Clayton Cowles. But Bruce is back online after his stint undercover in the Unsanity Collective. He follows up with Oracle about what he's missed, and she tells him that there has been more Scarecrow sightings. With all the information he's collected, he's now going after Simon Saint. He asks Oracle to contact Ghostmaker to help him, but, but Ghostmaker... Yeah. He asks Oracle to contact Ghostmaker to help him, but Ghostmaker is busy with Harley. Harley and Ghostmaker are interrupted by the gardener, who tells Harley that Ivy is in Gotham and she needs her help. Oracle eventually gets into Ghostmaker systems and gives him the call. Batman goes on ahead to confront Saint, but Saint denies anything to do with Scarecrow. Just then, Gotham City all explodes with it being alluded that Simon Saint was the one to push the button. And Saint alluded. He didn't like actually. It wasn't on the panel where he like yeah. pushed the button. He just stood there, said something, and it blew up. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, he yeah, hired it was, somebody it was, to it push was the him. Yeah. yeah, we we all know. <laughs> But at that point, Saint then brings in the newly titled Peacekeeper 01. And this begins, in my opinion, one of the best fights we will ever see with Batman. Oh, I hope so. With with that ending page. um, And honestly, that that one, that that final page might have been my panel of the week. Because it's just like, it's so... 
I don't know. I don't know if you guys watch anime, but it's great to draw. It, it, it really, yeah. it really reminded me of like an, an ending, just because they're both like charging at each other. Um, but but yeah, it was just gorgeously done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was fantastic. And Peacekeeper One's design for this early stage of his his suit looks amazing. I think. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It is fantastic. I I love to see that the story is going somewhere towards that i know i've said before that i'm i'm not a big fan of we're getting to this point where we know the future but i'm excited to see where this goes because now we're going to see the side we never got to saw in future state mm-hmm. and right. that's simon saint's story and why this is all happening i'm excited to see where this is going how Jimenez the hell is this just, is all happening oh, yeah Jimenez is killing it as always oh, it's yes. just fantastic oh, yeah. Yeah, I I mean to your earlier point Rob about, you know, one of the best fight scenes. Even though we we haven't gotten the full fight scene yet, I think the brief kind of like scuffle between Batman and uh and Peacekeeper 1. I I was just amazed at how fluid the artwork was. I don't know if you guys oh, yeah. picked that one up, but uh, I mean that's that's trademark Eminem's man. Yeah, Eminem's, yeah. That's... I mean it was like it basically, you know, Batman's throwing everything at at peacekeeper one and is able to cut the hole through the floor and it was just it was really fluid like it just flowed really well i know that's repetitive but like no it's I, I can't help but wonder how he sets up his panels like he does he go like in his brain is he like drawing out every 10 every 10 like frames in a movie and then putting that shit down on i mean because <laughs> I, I mean know. the way that he approaches his, his it process. his right because the way that he approaches it, it does seem like he's almost got a cinematic element to it. Yeah. It's just fantastic. My only gripe, and it's a very minor gripe, with the story they seem to be setting up with Ivy, it seems very different from the story we're getting with Rom V's mm-hmm. versions of Ivy. And at that point, if it's not connected, which version do you follow? Like, What narrative do you go along and which one's really going to bring Harley and Ivy back together? It's well, right now the way I'm seeing it is Poison Ivy's been split down the middle. Yeah, that and, was and that was my guess too. Is we're seeing we're seeing the Ivy part in in you know in the areas where she's all giggly and the dialogue's all sing songy and you know it's even written in curves, mm-hmm. and then Ivy the the Poison part is she's the one that's sitting there and consuming the the city from underneath the earth because she's just pure evil. Mm -hmm. Yes. We love poison Ivy. We love poison Ivy because of Harley's influence on poison Ivy, but let's not forget of the crazy fucking shit that poison Ivy has done. And at the root of it, she is an eco terrorist. Yeah, (laughs) that is very true. So her good side and her bad side have been separated. That's why I think swamp thing is going to have to be needed is going to be needed to put them back together. Yeah, or, I mean, it seems like, because this is the, clearly the, like, evil, you know, crazy Ivy. They're calling her Queen Ivy. Yeah. We already saw her in Swamp Thing 3, and she was, you know, basically giving Levi shit and saying, you know, what are you doing here? Don't talk to me like that. That whole scene. So, I I think somehow she's going to get pulled from the green and is basically going to go ballistic or something like that, and that'll probably tie into Fear State, where if the whole plan is to try and control gotham and you've got this basically underground like plant uh structure there there's going to be a lot of of 
showdown between the new magistrate program and basically trying to take care of Ivy, I'd imagine. But, but I guess we'll see. Did we see her in Future State? I don't think we did. Yeah, I don't remember. No. So, uh, oh no, it's probably uh, why. <laughs> right. Uh. So the mystery got solved with the chick with the dogs, right? <laughs> As Pam's ex girlfriend. I, I mean, I guess that's cool. Although I didn't yeah. ever hear that that before. Um. So, uh, Ghostmaker definitely has a Batman complex, man. I mean, he throws away a supercar just because it's not faster than the Batmobile. <laughs> yeah. What the fuck? Yeah, uh, dude, dude's obsessed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's still something feeling a little slimy and mysterious about the Saint Scarecrow connection, although I still can't put my finger on it. And uh, it Saint must be his balls must be the size of grapefruits if he's going to lay out his plan in front of Batman when Batman's not like bleeding out on the floor. Yeah. How how confident does this guy have to be? Um, This issue, or at least this story part of the issue, I felt like this was like half wrap up, half set up. And I felt like it flew by really fast, but it's not because it was like super short or anything. It was, it was a lot of fun. And the art team, Jimenez, Mori, they cannot draw bad. If they tried, it would come out looking a little less than the Mona Lisa. It's mm. they're fucking great, man. This is so good. My score is eight point five out of ten for this. Awesome. What about you, Rob? Yeah, I gave this for the main story, I gave it a nine out of ten. And I also just going through the issue again, a, a bit I forgot about where when Batman shows up to Simon Sane's office and Simon's aide or, or sidekick or whatever with the robot arm shows up and Batman just like kicks him right in the face. Oh, yeah. that was fantastic. Oh, man, it was good. <laughs> All right, well, before we move on to our commercial break, we'll be taking a look at the Ghost Maker backup and uh, I'll let Josh tell us all about that one. <laughs> Brandon, did, did I miss your Batman score? Oh, crap. Uh, um, okay, let me... All right, scrap that part. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, this... this. Uh, oh, did I even talk? I think I did. I don't, I don't even remember. Um, yeah, we bullshitted about it. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah, no, like, like, like you both said, Jorge, phenomenal. I just, I like, I just... I don't know. His 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 rendering of Batman is just so freaking great, and like I just, I just or his stop. coloring just bounces right off of that shit too, dude. They are yeah, no, I mean Dean, they really are. Now, Perkins and Spicer go together really good too, but uh, Jimenez and Mori, oh man, yeah. And I just I I think for me at least, because I mean I've seen basically Jorge's stuff at at DC exclusively at this point, and every time we get new pages of Batman. It's selfish of me, but I'm just like I'm. I'm waiting, waiting for him to kind of break free and do something at at Image or at Dark Horse because I know it's going to be off the chain. But anyway, um, yeah. No, I I, I dug this issue and uh, ended up giving this one an eight point two five out of ten. Right. Huh? Okay. Um, but we're not done yet. Before we head to our commercial break, we're going to be taking a look at the Ghost Maker backup, and uh, Josh is going to tell us all about that one. 
Yes, sir. Uh, it was written by James Tynan with art from Ricardo Lopez and coloring from Tomo Mori again with lettering from Clayton Cowles. Ghostmaker is fighting his way through these caverns to make his way to a bad guy base, or at least that's that's what it looked like to me. And he's doing it so with the aid of a tiger's head that shoots lasers. Uh, in any case, inside the bad guy base, there are a few people at least, but only two are named. Brainstorm, a guy who was forcibly given superpowers at a young age, and Madame Midas, who is gold and wears a ball gown. And uh, they seem to be a bit on the mean side, and that's pretty much the story. Uh, Ghost Ghostmaker both advances his story with an arc while simultaneously feeling like it's spinning its wheels in neutral. The new characters are cool, but is this all enough to carry a story? I mean, I was enjoying getting a look into who Ghostmaker was previously, but that's gone now, and actually there's more of him worthwhile in the Batman story than in here, I think. I mean, it had good art in most places, though there were a few times where it felt a bit, dare I say, Rosmo-inspired. Like the faraway shot of Midas next to the Ghostmaker hologram with those super long skinny legs drawn like Looney Tunes. <laughs> on on like page 26 or 25, somewhere near there, I know that. But uh, it wasn't enough to bring the art score down. The story really left me feeling uh, like I wanted more and. I think that might have been just because there really wasn't anything there. You can't blame it on being a back issue, though, because the other backups that we read many times outshine the main story. So I'm sorry, Ghostmaker, but this one fell flat for me, 6.5 out of 10. Fair enough. Rob, what did you think? Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat, though I scored a little higher. I, I'll, I guess I'll start with my score, 7.5 out of 10 for this backup. And as much as I love seeing Ghostmaker go up against all these villains, I just want to see more of him on the island because that looks more fun. He's fighting giant snakes and freaking tigers with freaking laser beams attached to their freaking heads. I, it's That's what I want to see, but we're not getting that. We're getting very minor points of that. Yeah, that's not he's, fun. He's, <laughs> he, yeah, he's a fun character. Let him play in the world a bit more. Unless these stories with him going up against these villains in the past are actually going to lead somewhere, what's really the point? What the fuck is the point of a tiger's head that shoots lasers, Rob? <laughs> oh, because it's awesome. That's, that's exactly that's that's just Doctor Evil fun yeah, right there. Awesome. <laughs> One million dollars. <laughs> yeah, but I I hope this story gets to a point where we're just seeing him fight all these people or. Or just see the fun of the character again, because these backup stories are seeming a little sad, and that's taking away this immensely fun character that's action-packed and kind of story-driven. And it's, it's yeah, like you said, it's falling flat. That's 7.5 for me from this one. Yeah, cool. Okay. I, I actually I actually kind of enjoyed this one. I mean, <laughs> you know, the, 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 the backups haven't been anything grand. Um, but I don't know. They've been kind of fun. And, and I think they've been steadily growing on me, especially the last one. So, I mean, this one was just kind of a, you know, a fun look into the, one of the characters of the, I don't even, I don't know if they have a name, like the Cabal on Devil Skull Island. And just kind of looking into his relationship with Ghostmaker, kind of like the last one with Kid Kawhi. And it was, like I said, it was, I don't know. It was, it was just kind of fun for me. And um, I mean, I can definitely see your point about 
some of the art in some places, but um, I, I actually thought it was, especially when we kind of have the brief scenes where he's fighting the uh, the cobras, um, I actually thought uh, Ortiz's art was pretty fluid um, and, and worked pretty well in some places, but um, yeah, no, I, I, I don't know. I, I think I think I actually kind of enjoyed this one. So I ended up giving this one an eight point two five out of ten as well. So my full score is just an eight point two five. Okay. What you guys, or what was your what was your full score or final score? Oh my, well, my final score. I ended up giving it a seven point two five. I had to round it up a little bit. It should have been a seven, but. I mean, the first Batman story was good, and I do enjoy the Ghostmaker story, the Ghostmaker, or excuse me, the Ghostmaker character. I just, this one felt like, uh, like cheesy 60s shit. I mean, <laughs> I, I was thrown right off the bat with the tiger's head, and then... I, I think I like cheesy 60s shit too much. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I mean, the lady, what's her name? Lady Midas or Madam Midas or whatever mm. it was. I mean, I just feel like that's a super generic villain. I mean, even Fortnite has one of those. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, man, but I think they could have done better. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, no, that's fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, uh, so with my Ghostmaker at 7.5 and my Batman at 9, I kind of rounded up in the middle and gave it an 8.5. Still a fun read, mm. but the backup needs to be backed up a bit more i think yeah backup needs some backup mm. <laughs> after these messages we'll be right back now back to our program thanks for sticking with not a robot next we'll be looking at crime syndicate number four and uh this issue was brought to us by writer andy schmidt with art by kieran mccown Inks from Dexter Vines, colors from Steve Olive, and letters from La- letters from Rob Lee. Um, so, correct me if I'm wrong, but for me at least, it didn't feel like a ton happened in this issue. So I kind of just highlighted some of the, I guess, important beats, and then that was pretty much it. But uh, yeah, mostly there, the there, issue there wasn't shit going on in here. Man. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> the issue mostly focuses on. Uh, the John Stewart Power Ring, who I guess is kind of reflecting a lot about his time as Power Ring and, and, you know, the fact that they have been together and, you know, what they're doing and everything. And we see the syndicate working together and kind of causing mayhem. And um, we see, uh, you know, John Stewart basically taking his jurisdiction completely over Coast City um, and also catching up with this world's version of Alexander Luther, who seems to be gathering a, I guess, group or uh, team of what we would know as villains, but in this universe as heroes comprised of different people to stand against the crime syndicate. Uh, and in particular, one of them happens to be Thalsinestro, who believes that John Stewart could be among their ranks, not just because he is someone who can overcome the power ring, um, but because he has seen it and has, um, you know, been able to do that. So um, basically, yeah, the, the, the issue kind of follows up on that. We see power ring confront uh, uh, 
Sinestro, this versions of Sinestro, and he's talking about what a hero he can be. And um, towards the end, after realizing kind of how horrified people are of him and everything else, he basically accepts the invitation to join uh, Alexander Luther's new group, the Legion of Justice. Um, so th- those were the points that I had highlighted. If I missed anything, please let me know. But I, I like I said, I, I feel like not a ton happened this issue or the things that did happen didn't really have a ton of relevance or just kind of happened. And Yeah, that's exactly. I don't know. This, this, this issue just felt really like... Blech. all over the place <laughs> um and uh like the series kind of started out being fun but i can really feel the aimlessness of the series by this point to the to the sense of like mm-hmm. i just i don't even care <laughs> i was arguing with people on twitter when this fucking series was announced i said it's a crime syndicate book i don't care how much you like the characters it's going to suck yeah it every is, single I mean, one it, always it, sucks it it sucks to say that because I I mean I, I I do think that you could tell a story with a crime syndicate. There is a possibility. Um, it's just I, I you really need to outline it. Otherwise if it's just if your idea is like we just wanna have a series where the crime syndicate do a bunch of crazy shit and 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 that's it, right? And some stuff happens, I guess powering is with the good guys now and Superwoman wants an heir. Okay. Uh, I don't like, think Power Ring is with the good guys. I mean, I think his motivations are good, but fuck, so was Ozymandias. I mean, that just yeah. <laughs> Lex Luthor's <laughs> motivations are good. That doesn't mean you know his technique is you know quite right. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I think I'm, I think I'm, they see themselves as as the good guys, which is whether or not that's true is, uh, is up to you. You want to know what I think about the crime syndicate? I think that. They are a ripoff of the Squadron Supreme, who are a ripoff of the Justice League. That's the feeling that I get here. Is like they're, they're, you can only repackage the product so many fucking times before you know it just gets super stale. I don't know. I haven't read an issue of Squadron Supreme since way back in the day, but I have. I, I can only imagine that it's not very good. All right. Yeah, I mean, I well, I got to double check, but I, I think the Crime Syndicate came before the squadron supreme but i, I mean have right. to, i mean regardless yeah. it's it's like it's like one of those things i'm tired of it i just seeing superman talk with a southern accent or <laughs> or dipshit accent i don't know what you want to call it i am living in the south so that was equating southern oh. with dipshit just saying yeah. <laughs> but um it's just it that's not the opposite of Superman and that's what they always set up these people to be is the polar opposite of our heroes and they're really not and I just I, you know let go of that 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 I don't know mantra I guess and just just move forward with these characters you want to keep Earth 3 going fantastic have Owl Man be a super vigilant super violent Batman you know uh, power it's, 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 it's almost like Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you no, go off, ahead. but you you were just talking about Owlman, and it, it definitely made me think. It's almost like I just wish that these characters could almost, and I know it's a crime syndicate book, but it's almost like these characters would be more interesting to read about and might have a bit more of an actual story if they were all kind of off doing their own thing. Yeah. Like I, I feel like I'd be more entertained reading 
you know, a, a, a Power Ring series or a Ultraman series or a Owlman series over them basically just kind of fucking around and doing a bunch of nonsensical stuff. Exactly. I mean, imagine reading Justice League without having any prior knowledge of any of the Trinity. Yeah. I mean, that's what we're getting here. That's just... Ugh. I've got, I've got, I've got. Besides the Squadron Supreme fucking parallel, um, I've only got two other notes. The caption boxes that I've been seeing. Uh, this sounds like the beginning of a rant, but I promise you, it's mm. short. They keep pointing to comics that don't fucking exist, and they're being snarky about it. And I don't know. Maybe it is. If if it's supposed to be funny, it's not. I hate the joke. It's always happened to comics people quit this shit. The only one that I know it for sure that does it right now is Marquis Draper. Knock it off. Save the humor for dilation. Not for, for dilation. Jesus. Save the humor for dialogue or narration. And, I, I think it's, I think it can be funny. It's just like, you don't have to do it every issue, you know, yeah, it gets, or multiple it gets times an issue. Yeah. It gets, it gets very grating. Very much. So this, um, the only other thing I've got to say is while it is, really good coloring i'm really not a fan of the rest of the art some of some of it is good mm-hmm. but most of it is less than it feels this is this is gonna sound mean if <laughs> it feels haphazard and honestly it feels a little bit more like a detailed breakdown than an actual illustration mm-hmm. um and i knew that this was gonna happen in the crime scene syndicate book yeah i'm just waiting for this shit to get over with i I, I had hoped that it wouldn't but yeah well well. this one gets a six man six six yeah no i i was i was you were more generous than me i i gave this one a a 5.5 um and uh i yeah no i think i think the art is at its absolute weakest in this issue because i mean i don't know about you guys but you can really see it in the faces where um, it's it's like, like half gone. I, I mean, like yeah, that's, like I. If you guys I, know I, what a breakdown is, a breakdown is when somebody that gets to throw their name in the credits gives like a rough outline, not no detail whatsoever of each panel, and then somebody else has to go behind them. It's like doubling up on the Marvel method. It's kind of fucked up, but that's well, that's yeah, what it usually, feels like. Usually, it's to to basically provide the structure of the issue. Like this is going to happen you know, from this panel to this panel to this panel. So you have a rough idea and then the artist basically comes in and says, okay, I will do that in my way, but I have an under, I have an idea of how it's going to flow panel to panel, but yeah, it's like, I, I think it's, I think it's definitely most apparent in the faces, especially with, um, I like highlighted the panel with, um, with Superwoman and Ultraman where Superwoman's talking about wanting an heir and Ultraman's face is like, what hell so, yeah it's it's almost like funny but he goes not in full a good on way. kite man yeah it's like like derpy almost yeah but anyway um yeah no this issue got a 5.5 for me just well this main story i should say got a 5.5 for me so it just yeah it's it's kind of disappointing but yeah. uh, rob what did you think so I, I wasn't thinking about it before. I, I get what you guys were saying, and I totally felt it when I was reading the issue that the art was kind of odd. And I, I totally agree. The story is kind of weird. Like, it's almost aimless. And it does feel like it, it, it is a crime syndicate origin story. But 
how many times have we had that? If we've had that, do we need that? Do we ever need that? Just, I, nope. I completely agree with what you're saying, Brandon, as well. They, they just, there could be a good crime syndicate story out there. They just need to be given a chance. Yeah. Every crime syndicate story we get in the past, what, 20, 30 years has been a mini or it's been a story in another book. And we've never actually had a chance for a crime syndicate ongoing to just actually play with that world. And you always get, and that's how we get stuck with these text boxes saying, oh yeah, Earth 3, uh, you could have had this, but you know, this is Earth 1, so you're not going to get it. Mm-hmm. We could have had it if we had the chance to see it happen. Yep. Yeah. And but that's no. just the end of it. And the art, I get the feeling that they're trying to go in a similar direction with Derek Roberts and the boys, but they're just no. If taking... that's what they're doing, that's a pale attempt. Yeah. yeah and that and that's exactly kind of it. Like they're, they're trying to emulate that without going that extra mile that the boys had with the gore and the ultraviolence. Like that's and the detail, what, I would say. Yeah. Right. I, that, that is definitely what made part of that book shine or part of what made that book shine i should say uh, i and loved this, him in the, that hellblazer book with tom taylor too that was oh yeah i love that that was fantastic anyway sorry uh, yeah <laughs> i get distracted <laughs> <laughs> well, I, i've been wanting to talk about the book with somebody for a while i, I love that that three book but yeah I, I, that's the feeling i'm getting now that they're trying to emulate the boys style of storytelling and it just doesn't work here because they're not going that direction properly they're trying to do too many things with this book at once and it's just failing. Yeah. And but at the end of the day, I'm I'm still a sucker for Green Lantern, so I enjoyed it. I gave it a seven point five. simply because of Sinestro. Uh, I, I, I love seeing Sinestro in this. <laughs> seeing Sinestro is like they just like from a Green Lantern fan standpoint, like John Stewart being basically what Sinestro is in Earth One and Sinestro being the complete opposite. I, I thought that was fun. But mm. beyond that this this is the legion of justice seems more interesting than the crime syndicate i'd much rather read that book yeah right all right well before we're done with the crime syndicate we have one more story to look at and that is the backup uh and i am just going to pass that one on to rob our our resident green lantern fan right so we got fun writing from andy schmidt Art from Brian Hitch, colors from Alex Sinclair, and letters by Rob Lee. John Stewart was a good cop. Always looked out for the public and his daughter. After she got into an accident and needed an operation to save her leg, he was desperate and borrowed money from a crime lord. On his beat one day, the crime lord's son starts bragging about being untouchable to Stewart, but this drives him over the edge. John drags the man into an alley and beats him. This act brings a power ring to John, which offers him the power to never be threatened again. When John puts the ring on, the man burns to death from a green fire. He is now the Emerald Knight. And this this one was just kind of weird. <laughs> I, it, I, I said he borrowed money from a crime lord, but I honestly had to go back two or three times to make sure I was reading it right. They never actually say, and I'm honestly just assuming that that's what it felt like, but it, it was just... That's the impression is, I got. If it wasn't, yeah, it was spelled out there. It, it seemed like it, no, I, I, I enjoyed it, <laughs> but mm-hmm. I think I enjoyed the main story more. Which is wow. I don't know if that's saying something or not saying something uh, with this backup. It was just is it, they're tiny stories, but I think the other backups have been more interesting, a little more fleshed out. This one was just but, so small and 
It's like consequential almost. He he became the Emerald Knight because he wanted to be better than he had started to become. Yeah. Uh, that's cool. But I, like Rob said, dude, this this pales in comparison to to the others that we've gotten in the series, and that's coming from a guy who is not a fan of the Crime Syndicate. <laughs> I think this is the first time that a backup in this book has gotten as low as the main book for me. But in this case, the art brought it up more than the last one, so this is getting a 6 out of 10. Yeah, it's a 6 for me as well. It just, yeah. Especially when in the main story they, they set up this thing with with John Stewart seeing some woman that I, I assume turned out to be his daughter, and she's just violently afraid of him. Mm. And you think that's going to show up in the, the backup, but there's nothing about that. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it just yeah, kind of a kind of the least interesting origins that we've gotten. But like you said, the the artwork by Brian Hitch definitely brings it up. So, oh hey, I, I gave you know what? Oh yeah, go ahead. Six Sorry. out of ten. Sorry. You know, you know the one thing that is good about this book, and I really have to give it to them, is that there's only two issues left, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> decided to throw that in there overall uh let's say this is a devil of a book i give it three sixes all across the board mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah i think overall i'll give it a 6.5 definitely had better chapters yep uh-huh. all right well let's see if things are, are looking up a little bit in our next issue but i won't hold out any high hopes uh <laughs> that is Justice League number sixty three, and uh, I, I'll uh, I'll let Josh take that one away and, and see how he feels to get us started. Does uh, Does anybody out there listening wonder why they keep letting me do the Justice League books? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> All right, this is written by Brian Michael Bendis with art from David Marquez and Ivan Plasencia, who are really good with art. Uh, and letters come from Josh Reed. Justice League number 62 starts out with Apollita talking to the Flash about how Diana understood man's world, but she doesn't. Out of nowhere, Flash realizes that he did the math wrong, sending them to the wrong place in the multiverse. So, so he calls up Mr. Terrific on the phone and tries to be funny. Why wouldn't he just run over there and then to where her wherever terrific is wouldn't that then been faster than a phone call but anyway now now we go back to naomi's home world and the justice league are still there fighting brutus he's that monstrous horn demon that talks like a generic 80s action star and that goes for literally everyone on his planet too uh, except for the family that found aquaman who after his monumental performance the last time we saw him going <laughs> death death <laughs> Only words in the whole fucking book. Anyway, <laughs> um, they found him. They uh, he they nurse him back to health, kinda, and then let him borrow the family tank. Brutus is whooping all of the Justice League because their powers don't work right. That is until Hippolyta is able to show up and just stab Brutus from behind, and uh, you know, with no kind of fight at all. Um, Flash tells them that they need to leave because the place is poisoning their minds. And Naomi says that they can't just leave there. 
And that's when uh, Zambato, I guess, uh, the big, bad, high and mighty of this weird, the big, bad, high and mighty of this weird world, who also speaks rather dumbly, and who, of course, knows Naomi. And that's the whole story. So front to back, the art was beautiful here. Every single page, every single panel. The colors are dead on, the lighting, the whole deal. They tore it up. Marquez and Placencia knocked it out of the park. And they they really have since since this run started. Uh, that said, of course, the story feels like I haven't moved an inch. We have another huge, big bad that gets taken down with ease after such a huge setup. The dialogue feels wrong. There's unnecessary words and panels all over the place. This is standard Bendis resume. The art is great. The story blows. Bendis, you need to thank your art team for this score. 6.5 out of 10. Oh, yeah. That's, that was nicer, yeah. right? Mm. I did better that time. <laughs> <laughs> I, it definitely feels like you were holding back. Yeah. <laughs> Just a little bit. Yeah. So I, the one thing I can say about this book that I can also say about Swamp Thing is what else is there to say that uh-huh. we haven't already said? It's... It, it's falling flat still. I do have a few notes, just in bullet form, that I wrote down. Uh, so where the hell is Batman? Batman. Where did he go? It, the, the tank moment doesn't seem to line up properly for me. Uh, <laughs> where the hell is Batman? Why the hell does that family just have a tank? Also, where did it come <laughs> from? Because I, I thought, like, and this was the part that confused me. So their house gets blown up, and they're like, who is it? Like, why? Wh- who's attacking us? And then I guess they just have a tank. And then they just show up with a tank. I don't know yeah. what what happened. Did did they just blow up their house with their tank, or did they and steal they, the tank from someone else, or who blew it up? Well, I, it <laughs> says that Aquaman borrowed the tank from it, uh, uh, when it exploded. Um, it says that Aquaman borrowed the tank from the family, and then when it exploded, he, the 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 husband was like, "It's not my tank; it's hers." Well, then who is attacking their house? Uh, some what random point of that. Some random fire gremlin. Oh, I thought he said it was his <laughs> I have wife's. No idea, dude. His wife's tank. That's what I said. He was saying it's not my yeah. tank; it's hers. Yeah, yeah. He was saying it's his wife's tank. It's the family tank. Uh, it's so awkward. That's weird, um, right? It's yeah, like the family just, station like, wagon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, the world you live in, you wouldn't want like a family van. You, you probably would want a tank, right? That's probably true. But the destruction yeah. of yeah, um, or yeah, I, I minivan with four wheel drive. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, this the story is interesting enough, but it's going very slowly. And where the hell is Batman? Yeah, like why do we like? I, I say that because why is that even a talking point? He's Batman. Why does Flash need to keep asking? And then I guess he just kind of gives up. Yeah, because <laughs> like, and, yeah. and that was one thing where it was like because I've, I've been trying to be a bit more positive about this one I didn't want to just kind of go in and blindly hate it because oh you know because it's Bendis or whatever like I wanted to give it its fair shake I always it, do um, this this issue I think is probably the, the messiest one that we've had so far where yeah, it was like sure. things just ooh, yeah it was it was it was tough uh, that's that's all I have to say but I think I think it's it's definitely highlighted by there's like a brief panel where Hippolyta has taken out Brutus in a fight that we don't get to see. Uh, so love that. Right. Um, and 
you have Naomi Green Arrow and Flash talking to each other and they're just like, we can't leave. What do we do with the Brutus guy? And then Flash is like, where is Batman? And then I guess he just kind of gives up on searching him. And then he's just like, you can't survive here. Go. Like, oh, okay. I guess Batman's gone. Let's just leave. It's just like weird. Why, why did you do that? What was the... Anyway. Yeah. I I don't know. I tried to be really nice. And I've, I've been pretty generous with this series for the most part. But... This one was was definitely the messiest one. So I actually gave this one a, a six out of ten. I mean, hey, just for the record, I go into every single comic we review with an open mind. It's just Oh yeah. You know, you know sometimes you get shit shows, you know? Every once in a while yeah. you get a bad score. Like Batman, it did not rate as high as I normally do this week. Kind of a shit show for Ghostmaker as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. But uh when it's the same shit show over and over for what three years straight now i mean i'm done so yeah i ran <laughs> but it's 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 uh as far as i'm concerned it deserves it i don't understand uh how people who produce such stories without without wrapping anything up or introduce big huge bad people that are supposed to uh, be the worst thing that they ever fought against, and then it's taken care of in four panels. Yeah, that was oh, that was that that really sucked. Um, where they literally it was such a cop out. Like mm-hmm. Naomi and and Black Adam just fly to the sky, and then they come back down, and oh, fight's over. Yeah, exactly, and that's like, all. That's all it ever just is. Shown up. Oh. It's the exact same thing that happened last issue as well with Superman and Black Adam about to fight Brutus and it happens off panel because we're seeing the rest of the league regroup. Yeah. And it happened with Red Cloud and it happened with Super Parasite Mm -hmm. and the entire uh, Wonder Comics imprint was that. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) that's, uh, anyway, okay. Don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> the the art was fantastic. The, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. The, the those two are fantastic, yeah. for sure. But uh, yeah, Rob, did you give your score? I I honestly don't remember, but it's a six point five yeah. for me this time. Uh, the art's great, but I don't think it's enough to redeem the book completely. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, I definitely feel that. But before we we leave Justice League, we'll take one brief detour and uh, look at our Justice League Dark backup, which I think is, uh, at least I'll say, before we get into the actual story, uh, a definite improvement from the main story. But this was brought to us by <laughs> yeah. Ram V with art by Zermanico, colors from Romulo Fajardo Jr. and letters from Rob Lee. Um, so briefly catch up with Merlin, who is... On his quest to sail uh, to an unknown location, we're not sure where that is just yet, but uh, have no fear, he is ready to take action as we see him literally jump off the boat and walk on water as if he is Jesus. Uh, Catching up with the JLD in the Library of Babel, they're able to take out some of um, Merlin's minions and... uh, Constantine and uh, why am I why did I like delete his name for a second oh my god okay sorry I just I had Jason Blood written down and it just like it just accidentally deleted it okay my bad 
Um, yeah, so Constantine and Jason Blood briefly catch up and talk about some of the logistics of the team, particularly with, um, I guess, Zatanna and the others and what's happening next. And that's when the JLD starts trying to look around for what actually went missing. What was it that Merlin actually took from the library itself that they're not really sure, you know, is missing. And that's when Ragman, well, I'm not going to spoil it. I have it written down, but I'm not going to spoil it because it's a really cool moment. But let's just say Ragman finds out some information about a particular member of the JLD that's going to be important down the line. But they're able to get the attention of the man of the book, the keeper of the library, who is particularly upset that they have been tinkering with his library and is able to kind of instruct them on where Merlin is actually going. And that's when we find out that after looking at some maps, Merlin is going to none other than the ruins of ancient Atlantis with the goal of seeing if he can once again wake the sleeping city. Um, so this, it, I, I think it's it's so weird. It's like, I think... Hey, can I ask you a mean, question? Go for it. Um the the part you didn't want to spoil was that the book that yeah that was the the book that ragman kind of pulls off the shelf all right if okay if brandon doesn't want to spoil the surprise I so i won't it, mention it's just, it it's a really cool it moment is and it's so like, fucking cool dude yeah. it is really really cool yeah. it's it's <laughs> just it's a i don't want to spoil it but Okay, it's it's a let's just say it's a really cool meta moment that, like I said, it's it's gonna it gives us some important information for for later in the story, and I, I love it. I I I'm as you know a huge Grant Morrison fan, so I love it when writers will experiment with like what the nature of a comic book can be, and so kind of like having this where it's like it's almost like on the nose, but not really. But I, I just yeah, I don't, I don't want to spoil it, but if if you get a chance, please. Check, it Check out. this out if you can if you can get through the first twenty pages of this issue. Right. But anyway, um, yeah, no this 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 issue is or this backup is clearly what's carrying uh, this entire issue. I have to say, like yeah. it's it's so funny. I think I actually because I, I I went into this reading the Justice League Dark backup first, just because I was kind of <laughs> like, oh, I don't know if I really want to read the main story right now. And then I went back and read the main story, and I think that the main story was just so messy, it actually elevated the Justice League Dark backup even more. Like, I liked it, but it was like... Oh my god, what is this shit? Yeah, it was was almost like, oh man, like, this is even better. Um, But, yeah, no, this was just better story. Um, I don't want to say better art, but honestly, I think I kind of enjoyed the Zermanico art a little better than the um art from marquez this week even though marquez is great um just far more interesting has a clear direction it's not confusing and crazy and chaotic yes just just better so i I gave this backup story an 8.5 i i can see zermanico drawing anything yeah i i I love that (laughs) ah i wish we could talk about talk about the spoiling surprise but okay we won't okay (laughs) do okay We don't have how, to. How about we how about we put it to a quick vote here? Do we care? Do we just want to spoil it or should we should we keep it secret? I mean we, we could spoil it in a way that doesn't exactly give it away. Like how I have it written in my notes. Okay. 
I'll try and dance around it as much as I can. So <laughs> basically in this particular scene, Ragman pulls a book off the shelf in the library of Babel that says author's is, notes. Yes, it says author's notes and the author in question. We don't have to say that. <sighs> I really want to though. I know we do. <laughs> I screw it. You know what? I'm, I'm going to spoil it. We'll put like a maybe put like a little timestamp here if you don't want spoilers. Like just stop listening to this part and go out and read it. But basically, they pull out a book that's labeled Justice League Dark, and it has uh, author's notes, like Josh said. But it's written specifically by Rom V himself. And there's a panel that Ragman looks at that basically talks about how one of the characters is going to learn that Zatanna is still being influenced by the Upside Down Man. And it's like, and that's why like, she won't use her mute her her magic because every time exactly. that she does, he gets a little bit he he comes a little bit more uh, influential. Yeah, and it's like I love that moment so much because it was I mean, it's, so cool. It's it's literally <laughs> like the moment that Ram is describing is that moment like yep. him becoming cognizant of that fact is the exact thing. It's like it's almost like a like a Mobius strip where it just kind of kind of circles in and goes infinitely but yeah it was just it was such a really great moment and i love when they kind of like toy with the the fourth wall a little bit yeah, and it's, just kind it's, of play with the characters so. that's what i was gonna say this is breaking the fourth wall essentially but it's yeah. it's done in like the coolest fucking way ever yeah rather I was, than harley not Deadpool that looking at, at us and, and saying a joke this this was like this was cool yeah so anyway like i said this was this is still the the story that's carrying the entire book and um we joked on slack that rom's back must be hurting real bad because he's been carrying this book for the past four issues so um rob thinks he's gonna have to get back surgery pretty soon but for uh, sure (laughs) yeah no i i I love this backup story but how did you guys feel Uh, that merlin is one seriously egotistical prick isn't he Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, at first it feels like it's a segue story here. Not a lot to move the story forward except essentially doing what you I guess flipping a few pages. But mm-hmm. I guess that's only because of how few pages there are. There's a lot going on. They find out where Merlin is. Blood has a secret he won't share. Zatanna is under the influence of the up down man, upside down man. And um and Merlin is down under the ocean trying to wake up an ancient part of Atlantis. That can't fucking be good. <laughs> I'm I'm super curious about that book that Ragman pulled off the shelf and whether or not we're going to see it again. Yeah. And I mean, one thing that, that I noticed is that I couldn't really tell if he put the book back. Maybe I could you guys either. can correct me on this. No. But I think he might have kept the book. I don't think is, it showed I mean, either. Did yeah. it? Yeah. So there's a possibility that like He'll I'm looking at it have... now. He, he doesn't put it back on the shelf, but in mm. the next panel we see him, he's not holding the book. But it's, so. yeah, is it possible that he kept it in his cloak? He's yeah, fucking Ragman, of course he can. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just saying, maybe he, he might have the basically the crib sheet for what's going on for the, basically yeah. the next year for the Justice League Dark. No, is, yeah. It's awesome. So the art is damn gorgeous in case... You guys have not picked that up yet. V, Zermanico, and Fayardo Jr. hold this down. And, man, I wish this had such a bigger audience. Tell your friends to go out and buy this shit because it is a hell of a team with, seriously, one hell of a book. I give this an 8 out of 10, and this score is really beginning to be affected by how short the stories are. 
Because if it was fleshed out longer a bit more, it would have scored higher. It, it Like they said, man, it's the only reason to buy this book. But honestly, with as short the stories are, it's worth the price. Mm-hmm. Or I guess yeah, maybe every... I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, I, I just, I, I seriously wish these roles were, were, I seriously wish these roles were reversed. Me too. JLD was the main. Me too. And Justice League was the backup. That or better so yet, better. just have Separate. Rom write like all of it. Oh, there you go. You know? Just have him write Justice League and Justice League Dark. I mean, I know it's a lot, but like. It's a lot. I mean, hell, he's doing multiple stories as it is. Yeah. But he's got. He, this might get just, just in DC, he's got Swamp Thing, Catwoman, JLD. What else has he got? I feel like he's got one more. Yeah, I think that's it. Oh, I thought he had four. Okay. Well, anyway, that's still a lot. He could throw one more under his belt. Oh, I wish. <laughs> I so wish. So wish. Oh, never mind. I was going to get mean again. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. yeah, like, every chapter of the story is getting better, and I love to see where this is going. And, and the rest of what I was going to talk about was also about that book that Ragman pulled off the wall because that was just hilarious. That was great. Yeah. <laughs> that was fantastic. And this this story so far can do no wrong, and I can't wait to see what Merlin's plan is. It's going to get so cool. So this is an 8.5 for me for the backup, mm-hmm. which averaging out will bring the total for about 7, 7.5. Yeah, no, mine is... Same score, I gave the backup an 8.5. Main story is 6, so uh, yeah, mine mine averages out if I'm doing my math correctly to a 7.25. Mine did too, but uh, I'm rounding up because of Ramsey. He doesn't deserve to suffer that much because somebody like Bendis is dragging his world down. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe, Maybe they'll, yeah, maybe... Once he's done telling a, a year-long story, they'll just give Rom the book. But we can only hope. See, I want to say go out and buy the book so that we get more Rom V. But that's only going to reinforce how dumb DC's being about keeping Bendis in charge of important shit. Anyway, what to do, what to do. What to do, indeed. Find them on Twitter, at DC Comics, and just tell them, how you feel <laughs> I do <laughs> yes <laughs> alright well now that we're done with the Justice League we'll be moving on to our next book this week which is Green Lantern number 3 and I'm uh, gonna let Rob take care of that one okay so for starters hold on to your seats because as much as this feels like a big one it actually isn't but it still is at the same time Right. So this one is from writer Jeffrey Thorne with art by Tom Rainey and Marco Santucci. Colors by Michael Atier and letters from Rob Lee. So John is out in the dark sectors with his fellow quest lanterns setting up shop and building a sector house. Before they can finish, John's ring goes out and he is left floating in space helpless. The last thing he remembers is seeing Amanita, a mushroom species lantern flying to save him. He then wakes up he then finds he is having dreamlike encounters through his memory. Breaking through it, he wakes up to find himself on a desolate planet, having been saved by drones. 
On this planet are a group of refugees from a great war from a long time ago. He's befriended by a woman, Sakari, and her child, Ilo. Over the next five months, he helps them with the chores they uphold. One day, he is woken up by Ilo as they are being invaded. John recognizes the invaders as Kinuri, pirates from his home sector. He goes to intercept, but is taken down fast and captured. Now following up on Oa, Joe Maline has taken responsibility as ambassador for Oa following the destruction. Following up on Oa, Joe Maline has taken responsibility as ambassador for Oa following the destruction of the central battery. Simon has survived, but his arm was blown off. Now replaced with a cybernetic arm, he asks to help Joe with her hunt for any surviving lanterns. Joe is suspicious of the attack and feels the attacker is still on Oa. She sends out a wide net message to all lanterns asking them not to return to Oa yet in case she is taken down as someone will need to take her place. As it turns out, the only one still receiving these calls is Hal Jordan, still in uniform and safe at the Hall of Justice. The biggest thing I can take away from this is Kyle is alive. Is he Thank though? You. He looked kind of dead. I feel like he had to stand. He's on that operating table for a reason. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's gotta be. Man, it was the White Lantern once upon a time. You Uh, can't, you can't just. I don't know. I was, I was bummed. All my favorite like Green Lantern core side characters are like dead. Looked like Aresius dead, and oh god, that um, was heartbreaking. You better not be calling Kyle Rayner a side lantern. Oh no, okay. no. I mean, he, he clearly, well, I mean, I, it depends on who you ask, but um yeah, no, I I don't know. It's I'll tell you honestly, if sick. I had to narrow my shit down to top three right now, it would be um Oh crap, who were you just talking about? Kyle. Kyle yeah, I'm sorry. Jesus Christ. It would be Kyle Rayner, Joe Moline, and Jessica Cruz. Those those are the characters that I that I'm enjoying the most right now, and then of course I say Kyle Rayner because I always loved him back in the '90s. That's when I fell in love with the whole Green Lantern deal. Was when Kyle was at the top of his game, and through Blackest Night and Brightest Day, I was a, totally into those stories, hardcore. So uh, Kyle's always going to be there. He was cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was definitely definitely one of the best. Yeah. And- yeah, there's something to say for Kyle for just basically running the core by himself for so many years. Yep. Some would say he's the best lantern, uh-huh. but that's that's a whole discussion for a lot of people. So there's <laughs> a whole lot of argument against that. Yeah, let me tell you, there's a whole lot. <laughs> Jesus I, Christ, that cover was amazing, wasn't it? Right. I mean, the cover just blows up a super simple idea, but I was like, oh my god, this is gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um. I've never heard of a chemopath before. It's a cool idea. They stole the hair thing from Avatar, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, I guess I, I don't know where this whole fucking John Stewart in a dream thing is going to go, but, I mean, I guess we'll find out, hopefully, anyway. Uh, in the John Stewart part, at times, it's thick lines and bright colors, and in others, it's the same thing, just... It's just much looser. The eyes are set really wrong. There's face distortions, that kind of thing. In the Malene part of the book, the art is much better, in my opinion. It's mm-hmm. much more my style, anyway. And honestly, the story is, too. I read the entire Far Sector series as it came out, and then again when I had all the issues. And it warrants at least two reads. I promise there's a lot of world building, a lot of world building in it. Um, Wait, is issue 12 out? 
Uh, it's out next week. Oh, I'm it's out next week. Okay. Yeah. Shoot. Scared I missed it. No, not yet. <laughs> I've read them all <laughs> so far. Uh, but uh, you, seriously, you need to uh, you need to read them probably twice because there's some funky aliens and a lot of stuff to learn. But it's, it's right. really cool. But uh, she is an awesome Green Lantern. She's got a few twists with her ring. It's not connected to the battery, but it recharges itself. However, it runs out of charge faster than the regular ring. So there is a there is a handoff. And if I'm not mistaken, it's not as strong as a regular ring. And we get a cameo from Hal Jordan. That's cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Overall, these were two great stories. And I thoroughly suggest you start checking out what's going on with the core. It's new and there's no telling where this is going to go. 8.5 out of 10 based on just the Moline part, man. You know, I'm interested. I'm actually interested in where... Uh, John Stewart's story is going to go as long as they don't screw it up in the next issue. Yeah, I can definitely agree with that. And and I was feeling the whole time that the stuff on Oa with Joe and Simon that was much more interesting. And yeah. I kind of had a hard time just going through the John Stewart part. As interesting as it is, it's it could be its own story in a separate book. I think. Yeah. This is not technically a Green Lantern story anymore. It can be just a John Stewart book, and that'd be cool. But I definitely have more of an excitement for the stuff with Joe and Simon on Oa. That and the potential is for where Dean the story Lantern started to start coming out into good stories. Exactly. Right, that's where this story, this book, has started, and I think that's where the story should keep going. And the stuff with the Quest Lanterns and the the Dark Sector. Keep that somewhere else. Maybe have that as like a backup story. But this is where we are, and I'll still take what I can get. It's it's all pretty interesting. I did notice or kind of realize that in the timeline that they had going on with Future State, Teen Lantern was on Mogo when the central battery blew up, I think. Mm-hmm. Because they were in some very dark area of space. Yeah. And that's when Mogo's ring just kind of cut out. So either there's like some notes not being said or that's that's just not going to happen anymore. But we'll find out, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm excited to see where this goes. Yeah. We'll, we'll see. It, it's an eight out of 10 for me for the book right now, mostly because of the Dromaline stuff. I think she's at the top of my top lanterns right now. He's just fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, for me at least, I, I, I got to be honest, I was kind of bored the first half with with Jon Stewart just because I was like, ugh, Lantern's dead again. Dream sequence and the art by Tom Rainey wasn't, wasn't that great. No, it um, wasn't. <laughs> it just, yeah, it was, proportionally speaking, it was, I mean, I can dig cartoony stuff, but here it just, it felt kind of wonky. Um, and I know Tom Rainey did a lot of stuff in the 90s. I've read Stormwatch like everyone else has, but it just, yeah, it wasn't working for Green Lantern. I just don't think it's a setting. Um, and no. uh, and that was unfortunate. So yeah, for me, the story really didn't pick up until the Joe Mullane stuff and dealing with the, the fallout of the central power battery. And I think that was just more interesting because we got to see character interactions that I that I found to be interesting rather than just like shots of people dead in space and John feeling guilty and weird dream sequences with Kat Matui um, but yeah, yeah like I said it, 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 it took 
took some time for it to pick up. So I feel like the story kind of suffered in that way. And if, if this is how the stories are going to be in the future, I think it might be better to have the OS stuff as the main story, like Rob said, rather than the John Stewart stuff. But I, I guess we'll see. So I ended up giving this one a 7 out of 10. Uh, as as tends to be the case in most of the books, except for Grime Syndicate, well, this week anyway, the backups are better than the main stories. And that is really yeah. unfortunate. Mm-hmm. I hope this is being done in a way to give these people their own books because this is the next generation of good writers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But we'll see. And I, before we, then I just, I want to make a, a small honorable mention about the story when I was writing all this stuff I was going to save this for my favorite moments but I, I think I have another favorite moment that I'll talk about later and just Joe Moline stepping up yeah, and running that she quite honestly could have been on her way back from her adventures in the bar sector right then when the, land, when the central battery blew up and now she's just thrust into this world that she barely knows and she's running it like a boss well, I mean, okay, yeah, she doesn't know Oa at all, but I mean, she she is Earth uh, born. Uh, she's a badass because, okay, Green like a Green Lantern's job is to protect a planet, right? Protect a sector, right? That's all they have to do. She did not have to do that. She had to go in and police a planet, a planet that doesn't really want police. Yeah, exactly, and that's probably as much as we should say because. Like yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm stressing. Go out, get that series. Yeah, it's such a good one. Okay, I'm trying not to rant, but it, it turns turns out that I've I've just started to rave a little bit more. I mean, there's there's things in in Green Lantern to rant and rave. <laughs> <laughs> you can go either way, yeah. but yeah, I, I I just love that aspect of the character. That she's not afraid to again it goes into like being not afraid she's not afraid to step in and just take charge and to be the ambassador of oa like like you mentioned she doesn't really know oa very much now she's just the ambassador of this thing she she's basically just meeting i think that was, that was fantastic character work well they said oh was gonna be reborn guess what <laughs> yeah all right any final thoughts uh that's it for me man yeah. All right. Well, next we're going to move on to a title that I've definitely been looking forward to quite a lot um, mm-hmm. that has been hyped by the writer for pretty much a year now at this point, and that is The Nice House on the Lake, number one. Uh, this issue was brought to us by James Tyne IV with art by Alvaro Martinez Bueno, colors from Jordi Belair, and letters from And World Design. Uh, Rather than give a full summary of the actual issue, because largely it serves as an introduction, uh, basically just kind of walk through, as I did with Crime Syndicate, some of the major points, but largely the issue serves as an introduction to a group of characters who have been invited by a mutual friend by the name of Walter to a, by, uh, to a uh, through the namesake, nice house on the lake in I think it mentions Milwaukee. Um, and I believe so, yeah. Yeah, and basically our, I guess what you might call main character, though there seem to be many main characters, Ryan, um, talks about how she was first introduced to Walter 
uh, over, you know, her time uh, in New York City and how the other various people were introduced to Walter through a conversation about how the world is going to end. So as everyone arrives at the house and start introducing themselves to each other, we get to find out a little bit more about their relationships and uh, how each one is given this tag almost by Walter that describes an aspect of their career or personality. So uh, in Ryan's case, she's the artist, but others are known as the writer. Some are known as the comedian. Each one is given their name and um, they're kind of joking about it, but yeah, basically little, it serves as an introduction. glyphs. Yeah, uh, as well as glyphs. Uh, but basically they're yeah. all introduced to each other. So they're spending their time together and we get to know them a little bit. And that's when we get a dramatic revelation about the state of the world, specifically in New York City. Uh, in that part of Walter's conversation, uh, the world itself is actually ending. And Ryan sort of realizes this as she's glancing through social media and sees people dying across the country. Uh, and they are having a brief moment to freak out about it and trying to determine what to do, everyone in the house. And that's when Walter kind of steps in and says, this kind of was my plan, that he and a species that he belongs to have decided that this world is going to end, but rather than letting every single person die, Walter has spent his time collecting this group of people to basically act as his, uh, I don't know, last place on Earth uh, to hide humanity and that uh, they'll basically be staying here for the rest of their days. So they all start to freak out a little bit and one of them tries to attack Walter, but unfortunately that results in uh, some rather brutal consequences. Walter slips out and kind of leaves the rest of them in shock and horror. And that's our setup. So, um, like I said, there's a lot more detail given to some of the characters and the relationships, but in all honesty, I don't really want to spoil it just because there's a lot of like really great subtext. And uh, I, I, I honestly can't say how excited I was for this book and how much I really just enjoyed this setup. Um, Tynan and uh, Martinez Bueno are a killer team. They've been a killer team since Detective Comics, and I I so wanted them to do a kind of crazy apocalyptic horror book, and this is exactly what we got. So honestly, I'm not disappointed at all. And um, yeah, I just I I it's just such a great team and such a great uh, writer and artist pairing, and um, yep. I think some really interesting stuff being set up in this first issue. So. I ended up giving this one an 8.75 out of 10. Really, really <clears throat> strong debut. Uh, I mean, so far, and I, I can't say that it's going to be, you know, a, a 9 out of 10 every time, but when you get Dan and out from behind the Batman books, he he lands a, he, he tends to land a lot of good bunches there, man. Oh, yeah. He can, he can write some books. Um, and uh, he does a good job setting this, this world, this story. He does a really good job of setting that up. Uh, it's done really, really well. Yeah. But uh, without getting too much into that, rather than giving as many, you know, as many details as Brandon did, I'm just going to skip over the rest of the story part here and just comment on Dwayne Oldman. Um, he was great with, with Tynan on, on the Batman book, but this cover, flat out, this cover is fucking amazing. Yeah. Uh, the copic markers, the inks, the lighting. Oh, my God, I love it. And the title page, I mean, dude, it almost looks like a movie. 
Oh yeah, Blaine was like yeah. blowing my mind here. Yeah, and I'm, I'm serious. I am not exaggerating. I, I had to. Like a movie. I had to compare some of this artwork with some of the stuff in Detective, just because like I kind of recognized it with the faces, but in a lot of ways, like it was really, really different from some of the right? stuff that I'd seen. So I had to just kind of go back and check, and I noticed that in his work in Detective and Batman Eternal and everywhere else. He had an inker, but here it's, I think he's just sketching it all out himself, um, which I think is why it's a lot heavier on the inks. But in all honesty, <coughs> excuse me, in all honesty, I think it just works incredibly well, um, especially when you were looking at, you know, the landscape of the house and the surrounding area, because it is just really beautiful. Oh, yeah, it is, man. Um, I'm hooked by this story, dude, <laughs> and I'm only one issue in. Like, I really need to see where this goes. Yeah, uh, for for an open an issue, this was an awesome effort with awesome oh, yeah. results uh, all day long, dude. Nine out of ten for me. Yeah, but he's like you said, he's really great at these, you know, stepping outside of the superhero stuff and doing his own. Because I mean, I remember first issue of Department Truth last year, right. Like, just going through that and last page reveal, you know, I'm Lee Harvey Oswald. Welcome to the Department of Truth. That was like sold. I am so in. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> so, uh, he is a great way to hook you in that first part. Yep. Yeah, he sure does, man. Yeah, I was just blown away by this book. I, I wrote one note for this book and it just says, holy fuck. <laughs> I went into this, I, I knew it was going to be horror style, and I'm not too familiar with horror comics these days, or in general, and honestly, reading it, and my wife read it after I told her, you got to read this, and she read the same thing, and, and she had the same thoughts I did, we were, the first half, we thought, okay, he's going to start killing people, this is like a typical horror mm. story, and that reveal just blew me away, it, it was just a mind-boggling how that that twist came about and I loved it and that that is what ultimately hooked me completely that he's not killing the people in the house he's killing literally everybody but the people in the yeah. house it's fantastic and the art just oh my god works so well with it I gave this a 9.5 out of 10 I can't wait for more of this awesome nope me either gotta keep it coming yeah no and I'm I'm glad I'm glad we're uh we're getting to talk about this one because I know it's not a kind of like a mainstream DC superhero book, but it's, you know, I was, like I said, I was super excited. So I'm glad we're going to get a chance to kind of go through it. But uh, I see no reason not to tie this to the horror imprint. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. But speaking of the horror, I honestly imprint, thought it was going to be next. We'll be taking a look at a, I guess, horror tie in. I wasn't really sure how to describe this one in my notes. So I just kind of you know, mentioned it as the as a horror movie tie-in, but that's The Conjuring, The Lover, number one. And uh, Josh, why don't you tell us that about this one? All right, so it's, I guess it's kind of a tie-in. It's, I mean, The Conjuring has all these different branches of it and whatnot. So, I mm -hmm. mean, this is just one more on the tree, you know? DC Horror Comics presents The Conjuring, The Lover, full title. And the award for the longest name of a comic book title goes to mm -hmm. this one. <laughs> um, 
Uh, so each of these issues will have backups in them. In this book, we have the main story that's called The Conjuring, The Lover, and the backup called Tales from the Artifact Museum. This one's The Ferryman. I'll get into that talent and story into a minute. Our main one is up first, written by Rex Ogle and David L. Johnson McGoldrick, and the award to the longest name in comic books goes to <laughs> that art. Uh, excuse me. Art came from Gary Brown and Mike Spicer with letters by Becca Carrick. The first two pages show us a ceremony being performed in Latin with some goat's blood at the end of its grocery list. I, of course, had to translate the text, so the <laughs> spell being used reads like this. Life and death, bones of the hand, hair on the head, cup and sacrifice. Give up your life, I swallow it. Death for murder, death for death, for the death of the innocent. At least that's as close as I can get to it, but that is some creepy shit. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Online translators aren't exactly spot on, but uh, I use some context clues. But uh, this story is set in 1981, and its main character's name is Jessica. And she's having a hard time maintaining her grades at school, much to the chagrin of her mother. She is pretty much just focusing on studying and getting her grades up and not pissing her mom off through the whole book. Even shutting down Kyle, the guy her mom calls cute, and he seems interested in her too. It's not until the very end where we see a hand creeping out of the shadows, and it's whispering her name to her as she sleeps. Jessica! <laughs> so, of course, this one is definitely a setup issue and it doesn't feel as though they were trying to circumvent that at all this story is going to have a lot of details in it because of the world that it's in it seems interesting gary brown's work in it is just like all of his others some of it is excellent and some of it is um but overall i am happy with this book we got a completely separate podcast that is out there with a different cast that is all about horror And I think that if this was a TV show and it was being reviewed, this would make an excellent first episode for a horror TV show. Oh, yeah. And as such, I am going to grade it the same way. So the first story is getting an 8 out of 10 for me. What did you guys think about it? Okay. Um, Yeah, I'll I'll start this off. I'm going to be very opposite from you guys. I, I am not a huge fan of horror movies. I find them very predictable and boring at times, and I kind of got the same vibe here. Okay. I, a lot of the story was just it, to me, it felt like the jump scares you get in the movies, and it doesn't translate too well on the page for me. It's just what, more that annoying, like, is this going to happen? Oh, it's not going to happen. It's, is this going to happen now? It's not going to happen. And then it eventually happens, and it's it's not that exciting anymore. It's a little too trope-heavy for you, is what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. And the stories... I, I don't know anything about the Conjuring movies. I, I never went into this. I know it's about a ghost, maybe. I could even be wrong about that. <laughs> I'm just going based on the title of the movie. And based on this issue, I, I might be right. So I don't know if it has a tie into the movies at all, or if it's but just set in that universe. Just, but it, the Conjuring universe is made up of evil shit and demons. I mean, that's yeah, pretty I, much, and I'm, the Warrens, I'm like you, that's Rob. <laughs> I, I I had only seen the second Conjuring movie, um, and and 
full context, like I saw that with a group of friends. So in all honesty, it, it was not something that I would have like gone out of my way to see. It was just, I was with a group of people. They were like, oh, let's see The Conjuring 2. And I was like, oh, sure, whatever. Um, and I remember seeing that and thinking, oh, it was fine. Like, you know, kind of your standard horror movie. So I didn't really think about it. So I think me not having any kind of attachment to it made it a little bit easier for me to just kind of go into this one without any you know preconceptions and just maybe kind of enjoy the story Uh um so i i think i was able to enjoy it in that sense but like i said as a part of you know the bigger conjuring universe i i I don't really care about that yeah well i mean that's the thing is like they all kind of exist well they all do kind of exist in their own separate story and it's just like this broad aspect that unites them Mm -hmm. but any. So I'm excited for this DC horror imprint. I, th- I think it's going to be a very good choice for the company. I'm excited to see where they go with it. And I completely understand picking a book that's kind of tied into a movie because then you can draw in that audience with a hook. Yep. This is something that's familiar, something that people would know, and it'll get them to buy the book and maybe hopefully buy more of the horror hey, stories. Hey, do you know what else would get people to buy horror comics? What's that? Joe Hill and Ron V. Yeah, I agree. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Listen to us. Uh, Please. Now, that being said, I completely understand the appeal and draw of making it a movie tie-in, but for a very first issue in this imprint, I, I just didn't like it. I'm going to be honest. Mm-hmm. It, it fell flat for me, and for this story, I gave a 6 out of 10. You uh... It's an interesting narrative, but it just... Yeah. Well, you uh, too too much jump scares. Too too many. Well, yeah. I mean, you went into yeah. it going, "Oh God, another horror flip." Am I right? Well, I I honestly I went in with an open mind because I don't know anything about the Conjuring universe. I I don't know anything about the story, so I went in not knowing what to expect. And honestly, what I got was oh God, another horror the ghost flip. getting closer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the ghost getting closer and closer and oh no he's not and now he is and yeah <laughs> same old same old I get it I enjoyed it though I'm I'm a horror freak I love it uh, as much as I can be I'm gonna be on the horror podcast that's coming out um, it's a I, I'm I'm constantly in search of a movie that will scare the shit out of me as much as birds did when I was a little kid I had a phobia for like oh, yeah. 25 years of oh, small man. swarms of birds. And I'm not, I swear to God, I'm so I, I'm looking for that movie. That's going to scare the shit out of me. So I ripped the hell out of most horror movies. But, uh, so I guess I just, I enjoyed that because I am a fan of the genre more than most. I gave this one an eight out of 10, but I thought it deserved it. So Brandon, did you give your score? Uh, No, not yet. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of, like in between you two where um like i don't love horror movies i can i could kind of watch them with a group of people and enjoy them but it's rare that i'll watch one for myself just because they kind of skeeve me out but um (laughs) i get it i I can't remember where i mentioned this it might have been on the marvel show or the indie comics podcast but in the last year and i think it's really thanks to to james tynan uh, I have just been reading an incredible amount of horror-related comic books, um, and t- to the point where, like, it's uh, I kind of almost enjoy them as my go-to, like, independent, 
you know, comic book. Um, yeah, and so yeah. I think I think for me at least, it kind of falls in between that where it's like it's part of the horror movie thing that I don't really care about, but it is you know a kind of decent um, horror comic book. So my yeah, mine kind of falls in between. I ended up giving this one a seven point five out of ten. Like I thought it it did a pretty decent job as a setup issue, but um, like I said, as part of a tie-in to the movie universe, like that whole thing, it just that I don't really care about, but. Um, yeah, I mean, I like I said, I you don't it does you don't have to have any knowledge of it. If you dig horror shit, I mean, you're gonna get horror shit. Mm. You know, you just you don't have to know about the movie in order to enjoy this. You'll get it, but you don't have to. Yeah. All right, so we are on to the backup issue, I suppose. Mm-hmm. All right, that is the Tales from the Artifact Room, and every single one is gonna be t- from that. And those Tales from the Artifact Room are. Uh, they're stories woven out of uh, haunted relics from inside Ed and Lorraine Warren's secret demon room, I guess. But anyway, the story, this one at least, is written by Scott Snyder with art from Dennis Cohen and Chris Sotomayor with carry-on letters. And wow, does it start out with a bang. <laughs> Everett Meller is riding in a taxi declaring it's almost over to his Uber driver, followed by saying that everyone he's loved he's murdered and that's on the first page man uh deal is that's that's not something you want to tell your taxi right (laughs) deal is when he was a kid he was peer pressured by some kids to steal a silver coin from the mouth of a dead woman at a funeral a week later the kid finds her parents uh, damn it a week later the kid finds his parents dead in their room apparently caused by carbon monoxide poisoning the story moves on and everything that he has allowed himself to become attached to has died or been taken from him by the ferryman. The legend says, like the bullying boys did earlier, that if you take the coin that was meant for the mer- for the ferryman, he'll follow you for the rest of your life. Now, as an adult, the dude is tracked down where the coin is somehow some 30 or so years later, and he plans on giving it back to the ferryman. The Uber driver is taking him to the destination, and as Everett is rustling through his papers, the driver says, we're here. And here is at a smelting plant. The coin was melted down. He tells the driver to take him somewhere else, and the driver turns around. Turns out it's the ferryman, which kind of makes sense. <laughs> you know, he's mm-hmm. still he's still boating you around, Uber or otherwise. So this is pretty obviously a little short story self-contained stories and that's something I can dig as long as they're you know enjoyable and not just fluffy time wasters it reminds me of the old horror magazines that my grandpa used to have that had the smaller stories in the back too Uh, every backup issue was supposed to be tied to a different item in that artifact room I thought that was cool now I don't know if these are all supposed to be from Snyder or Cohen I haven't looked or checked but this one was fun. Snyder likes the dark side, so reading more of his stuff is okay with me. And I will look at anything Cohen draws ever. Uh, either way, it is a cool premise for enjoyable stories without much investment. And so I give this one an 8 out of 10, too. Now, when it comes to stories like this, this is kind of the horror I enjoy more. This one had like an urban legend vibe to it. Right. And I, I love stuff like that. And Canadian kids out there growing up in the mm-hmm. 90s, if you were watching YTV back in the day, you might remember a show called 
creepy stories, I think it was called, with like a cockroach and a, a maggot in a restaurant telling creepy stories for kids. And it was hilarious and it was great. And it introduces you to like the hook man and like stuff on Lover's Lane and in like 60s and 70s urban legends. And that hooked me to this genre. And that's the horror I enjoy. So for this, this story for me was a lot better received. The art was a little odd, but I it's, it's good art. And I wish this was more of what we were getting. I honestly do. I yeah, this story was just more enjoyable. I still don't think it was an amazing story for a first issue, so it still kind of failed to deliver to have that great pull. But it it's good. I I did enjoy it, and I hope to see more stories of this caliber, like an urban legend type feel. Hey, you brought up uh, TV shows. I, I grew up in Michigan, man, so I was right across the water from Canada, like literally. So I got broadcast Canadian televisions back when I was a kid. All I had to do was put up an antenna. Can you imagine that, kiddos? Um, <laughs> so I, I, as a as a kid, I used to have to sneak and pretend I was asleep until I could turn on the TV and watch the TV show Tales from the Dark Side. I don't know if you're old enough to remember what that is, but it was like the Twilight Zone on acid. And ever uh, since yeah. then, I, I mean, seriously, and ever since then, I have loved Canadian television. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah the tale, Well, Tales from the Crypt has been around a lot longer. That's not like, exclusively Canadian, but that mm. was around, and we had Goosebumps. Yeah, no, that's, that's the one had, I... Um, I yeah. I mean, I, I didn't see it while it was airing, but, you know, they had DVDs yeah. and, and reruns and that kind of thing. And I remember seeing the, the Canadian uh, Goosebump shows. It, no, no, just for the record, Tales from the Dark Side, even though I watched it as a kid, was definitely not for children. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, definitely not. No, it was really late. Are, are you afraid of the dark, though? That was Oh, that was cool. Definitely mm-hmm. for children. And when I was a kid, it definitely did not feel like it was for children. Oh, yeah. it, 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 it was It was yeah. good. And that's exactly the kind of horror that, that I love, not ghost story after ghost story after ghost story. Uh, I, I used to read the hell out of R.L. Stein books when I was a kid, too. Did you oh, ever yeah. read those? He's yeah, no, so I, I feel good. like every kid's read those. Hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that's it for mine. Um, I'm going to give the whole book an eight because both of the stories got that from me anyway. I enjoyed it. Uh, give me horror books as long as they're as long as they're done well and they're not weird like hereditary, then I'm all for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I gave all this right. back up a 7.5 as well. Um, like I said, it just, you know, it was not not like the greatest horror story ever told, but just pretty solid for, for this. And again, I don't know if this was meant to be like, it, it felt like it was just kind of a one and done. Um, I, don't, I, I didn't get the feeling that it was meant to be like building towards something crazy, um, which is cool. So at least you know if you're getting like your main conjuring story you're also getting like the fun backup set in this this universe um so that was nice um and then like you said i'm I'm a big fan of dennis cowan as well so um it's always nice to see him draw stuff so i like i said i gave this one a 7.5 totally solid so average score is just 7.5 in in total yeah i gave the backup a seven but I, I still feel like the book overall for me, six, six point five, maybe a six point two five to average. Mm-hmm. 
All right. Well, we are done with our, our main reviews for this week, but we're going to give one final honorable mention to Infinite Frontier Secret Files number four. And considering that we're at like two and a half hours at this point, I think a, a mention will, will do it well. But um, uh, this issue is uh, written by Brandon Thomas with art by Inaki Miranda uh, and colors from Nick Filardi. And they did a good job, too. Yeah, the, the story is co-written by Brandon Thomas and Joshua Williamson, but the script itself is done by uh, Brandon Thomas. Um, and so basically, long story short, this issue focuses on the new totality uh, who, after some science shenanigans, find themselves, or I guess the totality of Earth-23... Um, I wasn't. I wasn't sure. So they're they're on Earth twenty three. I think right. Right. As President Superman shows up, but it. I just. I, I wasn't sure at first because it says um, they're strategizing on Earth zero. I thought that they were on Earth twenty three. Yeah, that was that was my impression too. But it, for some reason, it said Earth zero. But anyway, basically, huh. science science shenanigans means that the two totalities of two different words. Uh, our meeting and the issue kind of focuses on whether or not the totality uh, can put their trust or actually the other way around whether or not Martian Manhunter uh, can put his trust in the totality and whether or not the totality has any trust in Martian Manhunter and they do some mental mind game practices to basically determine whether or not they trust them and um, that's when we find out that the totality of Earth-23 does not trust each other at all, while our totality seems to have a bit more faith in each other. and uh, That's a good thing to keep in mind for when they will next meet, uh, as yeah, they are clearly is. alluding is going to happen towards the end. So basically that's the gist of it. Um, there, there's, there's a lot more intricate stuff, but like I said, uh, just kind of wanted to give a brief honorable mention. Though there was a really cool moment that I wanted to mention, um, and I think this speaks to kind of how Brandon Thomas can think about the physics of how these characters can work. And it's something that I, I like, it's, it's one of those things where you hear it and you're like, oh, that's so obvious. Why did I never think of that? Um, and it's this moment with President Superman who basically comes to see, you know, what's going on in Metropolis after the two totalities have been kind of fighting and Martian Manhunter, both of them use their mental powers to kind of cloak the totality and president superman has this moment where he's basically just like you know that even if you're trying to feed this random information in my mind i still have super senses which are able to pick up on the fact that there's something not right in the atmosphere like i can sense what a martian smells like i can sense or smell lex luther's cologne like i even if you're trying it to feed this it random all crap into my brain i can still pick it up and i was like that's really smart like i can't believe i didn't think of that like obviously if you're a kryptonian and you have super senses even if you can't see it you'd be able to you know tell that something is there so i i just thought that was a really clever kind of look into i guess the superman powers but um i thought this was cool i thought this was probably the most interesting of all the secret files we've gotten so far I, i've been looking forward to seeing what they were going to do with the totality and this definitely is is kind of what I was hoping for. So I gave this one an eight out of ten. How did you guys feel? Uh, pretty much the same way you do. Uh, 
a very mm. stoic, serious Martian Manhunter letting us know the totality exists. The way I took it is in all of the universes, not just this one. Mm. I mean, it makes total sense. I just never, it just never crossed my mind. Just like Superman, not, you know, just like him not being able to be deceived by the, the psychic shit. You know, he's not yeah. fooled. Anytime that he's portrayed as a genuine strategical leader, I am down for some Martian Manhunter. I gave this a seven out of ten, mostly because it was so short. Yeah, yeah, I I love this team. I think it's a very interesting group that's been put together. I can't wait to see what they do, and I I also love the nod to Martian Manhunter and his, I guess you could call it human life, in his psychic safe uh, room, the table is a giant chocolate. <laughs> <Wow. laughs> love that. Love that. I thought that was great. And just to see a, an alternate universe version of a team, and it's not an evil version of that team, yeah. I think was a bit refreshing. I thought it was really cool. And the color, the palette swaps are just so minor, but so interesting. Mm-hmm. And overall, I gave this a 7 out of 10. The story, I think, leaves much to be desired when it comes to this team's story, but I'm sure we're going to see more of it. Yeah. I hope so. All right. Well, that was a lot of fun, but... Oh, wait, crap. That's the wrong transition. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> now that that's done, let's break down our top three books for this week and a standout moment if you have one. So, Josh, I'm going to let you get started. All right, man. Uh, number three for me was really difficult to choose from because a lot of books could fit there, really. Mm. We had some pretty decent books this week, so I had to go by score alone. So number three is going to go to Green Lantern number three. Uh, again, just due to score alone. The next two comes down to my investment in the book. It is seriously the only way that I could decide between these two, and I'm more than a few issues into one than I am the other. So, number two goes to Nice House on Nice House on the Lake. This again could easily be number one, but my number one spot has to be Swamp Thing. I'm already into this story. It's such an amazing story, beautiful artwork. I have complete faith that this is going to go somewhere that's enjoyable. Even if I don't like it, it's not going to feel like I got robbed of a story. Yeah, so for sure. that that's where I'm at with Swamp Thing. Like, I have faith in that book. Number one, all the way, usually every time it's on the podcast. And uh, my favorite moment, <laughs> this is going to seem weird, but it's one of the, uh, it's the macabre mail orders. Uh, specifically, mm-hmm. if I had to pick one, the insult that made a man out of Malcolm. Oh. <laughs> it was the advertisement to fight against bullying by sending in a paper coupon, old school comic style, to be possessed by Baphomet. In fact, it says send in $1 and this coupon to get a full color 16 page catalog of demons to choose from. <laughs> I just thought that was pretty good. I, I thought that was hilarious, yeah. man. Yeah. Um, that was really cool. Yeah, that was in the uh, that was in the conjuring book, by the way. Yeah, no, I love I love all the spoofs they do on the like old Charles Atlas ads, but it always makes oh, me yeah. think of Flex Mentalo. <laughs> right? <Doom> <laughs> it does, it does. Oh, I could use some Doom Patrol right about now, man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh Rob, what about you? What were your top three books for this week and uh your standout moment? Yes, yeah, so I also had to go on the score alone. It's so hard to pick 
from this week. But for for me, number three is Batman. The backup was a little bit lacking, but it still has that fun that I enjoy. Mm-hmm. And the main story is just going places that I love. Uh, the art all around is so good. Keep that up. Number two, I gave the Swamp Thing. I, again, not, not much more we can say about it. But again, just fantastic writing, fantastic art. And number one, my blowout moment was Nice House on the Lake. My blowout book was Nice House on the Lake. I could go on about that book, but my best moment is also from that book. And that's that, that reveal of what's going on in the world. My jaw actually drops when I read that. Yeah. I, yeah, I got the feeling that like there was going to be this invitation to the lake and he was going to be like this super creepy perverted dude or yeah. he was going to be like this torture porn guy or like psycho or some shit but I never thought that all of that was going to lead to him actually ending the world and she recognizes it first she's like oh my god it's you, isn't it? Or something along those lines. But I mean, yeah. that's yeah. that it's done so good. Oh, read yeah. it, yeah. read it, please. Yep. Yeah, no, I, I, I can echo Rob here. Um, in my top three where I had Batman at number three, just a super solid issue. Um, and I, I, I did enjoy some of the stuff from the ghost maker backup. Um, so yeah, just kind of solid issue all around. Number two, <sighs> I, I gave it to the nice house on the lake, and I really want to put it alongside not Justice League, but the Justice League Dark backup. I, I wish I could just separate that from the book and rate it on its own. Oh, go ahead. Honestly, we we rate it on be... its own. There ain't no reason why we can't place it in the yeah, top no, three. Yeah, no, honestly, like, if it... I mean, yeah, I, I would put it as, as my second just because I just I freaking love that backup this week. Um and I, like I said, I wish it could just be its own thing, but yep. you can't have nice things. So um, my biggest choice between the top three was uh, Green Lantern and Batman. And Green Lantern won pretty much because I disliked the John Stewart story less than I disliked the Ghostmaker story. Mm-hmm. Tiger laser eyes. Uh, um, <laughs> but yeah, at number one, had to had to put the Swamp Thing. Just my favorite book, and and all I can say at this point really is just if you haven't read this, you got to pick it up. Like it explains all my feelings, so I don't even want to sound repetitive. Like it's just it's amazing. So uh, that was mine and my standout moment. If I haven't made it clear, had to go to the uh, the fourth wall break in Justice League Dark. Um, And if if you if you skipped over the spoiler section, I guess skip skip over my top three books for this week because I just I had to talk about it. Like it was just such a really cool and inventive moment. So oh yeah, um, loved it. But while that was fun, we have something that's even more fun. And next we'll be looking at the biggest thinker. Oh, that's nasty. So, Rob, what made your stink list this week? Uh, so for me, it might not be too much of a surprise, but it's The Conjuring, mm. just based on what I was saying about it mm-hmm. today. It, yeah, it, it just kind of fell flat for me. Not for you. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, no, my fair biggest enough. thinker this week has to go, not to Justice League, but 
to crime syndicate because i just like at this point it just feels like such a mess um and i mean not like a bendis mess just a we don't have a story things are just happening characters that you want to see do other things are stuck together kind of mess that was a very long description of a type of mess but there you go (laughs) but uh what about you josh what made your stink list I am right there with you, dude. Crime Syndicate. Sixes across the board. I mean, mm. eh. it was it was a comic book, but that's really all it was. <laughs> <laughs> and reading the Crime Syndicate for the record, like I said before, it doesn't feel like evil versions of our heroes, man. It feels like spinoffs, or at least these iterations of the characters, yeah. feel like spinoffs of Squadron Supreme, which, by the way, if I didn't say it before, is the most... 90s name still in existence mm-hmm. they <laughs> they just feel boring and you know honestly they always do so that's my stink yeah fair enough fair enough and that's the show we hope you had fun we definitely did come back next week for more DC Comics talk when we'll be reviewing Checkmate number one, Detective Comics 1037, Wonder Woman 773, Batman the Detective number three, Batman Urban Legends number four, Justice League Last Ride number two, The Joker number four, Future State Gotham number two, Rorschach number nine. Another very busy week. Very busy week. And we'll also have the DC Pride uh, review with... The special host released yes. as a bonus episode outside of our regular scheduled program, folks. So make sure you come back for that. Absolutely. But uh, we'll be here talking comics, and we hope you'll stop by. Remember to go to notarobotpodcast.com for all of our episodes and our other shows with all sorts of people. With that, there's only one way that we say goodbye around here. Until next time. Be good to each other. And don't be a robot. Don't be a robot.